0: This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we venture forward into the year Carpenter with 1980's The Fog. What secrets are hiding in Antonio Bay? A cursed past? Ghost pirates? Random Tom Atkins We must venture into the mist to find out.
1: This
2: is not a dream. Not a dream. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy but i've just experienced some very unreasonable things i met this six-year-old child with this blank pale emotionless face the blackest eyes the devil's eyes it's the invasion of the podcast i have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass
3: okay show me
1: I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. The year of Carpenter. Why don't we just wait here for a
0: little while, see what happens. And welcome to Invasion, the podcast where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. It is our Year of Carpenter episode. Um, My name's Paul, and somewhere out there having a stomach pounder and a Coke is Steve.
3: Hey. Oh, wait. No, that's not a good pirate. It's, there we go. <laughs> it's like, you're the Fonzie pirate. Like,
0: hey. just, <laughs> you wander around in the smack jukeboxes and make them work, <laughs> right?
3: In the, in the back of my brain, I'm like, ah, do a pirate voice, and then I'm like, oh, he comes out. I'm like,
0: wait. I, so that wasn't a bit. You, you just, no. you just, uh, you just came out not pirating right. Okay, great. yeah,
3: I uh, yeah. apparently yeah. don't make a good pirate.
0: All right, so there we go. That's it. Good night, folks. We're done. Uh, so no, <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I was going to ask you this later, but what is a stomach pounder and a coke? What, what was that? Do you do you remember the little boy asking the mom for that, and she's like, no, later. Cause it was Stevie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm like, what's a stomach? Like, is he asking for like, like a hamburger
3: or some candy? (laughs) Like, you know, I don't remember. And I think the only other movie that I've heard the phrase stomach pounder, I think it comes up in the non John Carpenter Halloween six. So,
0: Oh, so, okay. So that's a reference that it has to be right to this. Yeah. Okay.
3: And now that I'm, now that we're on that subject while we talk, I'm just going to put it into Google and hope that I don't get, you know, any urban dictionary.
0: Directed. Yeah. This is the yeah. Yeah. So, um, so while you look that up, yeah, everybody, this is our year of Carpenter episode. We're dealing with 1980s, the fog. Uh, and here's an admission, a film I had never seen before, but that's kind of been our mission statement for the year. Cause we both love John Carpenter as a director and I hope you enjoyed our conversation last month about Halloween. Um, yeah, uh, this is one that I, I've seen bits and pieces of, but I just had never seen before.
3: Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I, I... I know that you were speaking, and I'm like, no, let me look this up while you're talking. No, did and you I find out what a soy powder it. is? Uh, I'm going through something here. Uh, Tommy Lee Wallace uh, claims it was a gym exercise, not a food item. John Carpenter said it was a joke, but he's glad that people still talk about it. So <laughs> All right. It's, yeah, not really a... Uh, uh, it's not really something that I I know that or I they don't seem to know what it is and it's not really like a reference. Is I guess um, the best way. Of that's
0: fine. It, so. that, 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 that's even funnier than to have a little kid ask for something that makes no sense and the mother be like later, you know, like so. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, we're going to get into the fog here in a bit. Uh, uh, I, no pun intended. But uh, first, before we do that, so have have you seen the
3: fog previously? Yeah, I had. Um, it's not one that I've you know carried around with me since childhood that you know i have uh fond memories of but it's probably one that i've seen in the last like 15 years so um unlike your halloweens or uh you know i was gonna say assault on precinct 13 but i just saw that for the first time this year um, like you
0: escape from yeah. New York or the thing, you know, like yeah. the ones that kind of
3: aren't For the whatever rotation reason, guys. I am way off my game tonight. I was going to say they live and my brain went to escape from New York. <laughs> Your so. brain went to i hey, yeah. I'm a pirate. <laughs> hey. So you know. if I start saying things that don't make sense, I mean, more so than mm. normal, that would be why. Um, and I'll be, I'll be honest, guys, there was no edibles, nothing that. Nothing oh. in my system that might make me trail okay, so, off so other you, than.
0: You come clean this time, but not the time when you did. Uh, okay. <laughs> go, go back and figure that out, folks. Um, I'm not going to tell you which episode, but.
3: Uh, well, you, you did last episode. So. Oh,
0: did I talk about was it? It was Freddy versus Jason, right? That uh, Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it came up during our game, so.
0: There we go. All right. So, all right, before we get to um, our talk about the fog, I mean, it is uh, is an episode of Invasion of the Podcast. we got to get into some weekend stuff. So I just got to ask you, did you get into anything uh, over the weekend?
3: So, yeah, um, there are a couple of things. Uh, They're all TV series. Uh, One is uh, this show called Killing It. I know that you recently said you canceled Peacock. I resubbed show, because
0: of WrestleMania, but. but I know it's with um that's with Craig Robinson,
3: right? Killing it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Most people would know him as Daryl from The Office, uh, but uh, I know him as Rob- the Pontiac
0: Bandit from uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. But I don't think you've gotten to that, so
3: <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, uh, I also think of him as the uh, oh god, I can't think of his name now. I was just gonna say I think of him as and then blank on the name, but <laughs> Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah. He's, uh, Oh, God, I can't think of this character's name in that. But uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but it's a half-hour show. I think there was 10 episodes in the entire season. It's a pretty uh, breezy watch. Uh, very funny show. It's set in 2016, like right around the time Trump wins the election. So uh, there's a lot of political humor. Not a lot of political humor, but a lot of, like, sly things about what was happening at that time going on in the background of the show uh there's some really funny gags in it um the and I I feel bad because I'm bringing this up and I'm like I don't know her name but he partners with this Australian girl who's uh an actress who I've not seen before but she's really funny on on the show on the show her character's name is Jillian G um and she lives out of like her car and a trailer and they hunt snakes and it is exactly what it sounds like uh as somebody who often will talk about how he doesn't like animal violence, I'm somehow okay with watching a show where the whole goal is to kill as many snakes as they can to try and win money. <laughs>
1: uh,
3: but yeah, there's some really funny people in the show. It's uh, it's definitely got that uh, – because it's not done in you know uh, documentary format, so I'm not going to say it's like Parks and Rec or The Office – but it has that sort of modern comedy vibe in the sense that like
0: like, that single camera type of
3: like, yeah. um, Yeah. It's definitely not a three camera show, but it's, it's, it's single camera. Um, and trust the audience enough for them to like find jokes that are layered within the show. I guess is the best way of putting it. Whereas, you know, three camera shows traditionally have to be like, let's ham it up and make sure that everything that needs to get a joke or a punchline is, you know, right there front and center. So
0: yeah, I, saw, uh, I remember seeing the, yeah, I would, it. It, I looks, would, it looks fun. I yeah. just, I haven't checked it out.
3: Yeah, I would recommend it. Uh, the other thing that we watched was also a peacock show. Uh, it's called the thing about Pam. Uh, it was as, as much as I watch and I don't mean to make it sound like, Oh, I watch dateline all the time. But Dateline, you know, is very similar to Law & Order in the sense that it was like, oh, you can come in and watch at any time. Admittedly, Dateline is based on true true stories, which supposedly Law & Order is. But this is not a – that's a documentary show. It's not a fictionalized show. Long story short, or as I like to say, short story long, uh, The Truth About Pam is the first show that's being produced that is – Based on an actual Dateline case, and Keith Morrison actually narrates the show. It was only five episodes, but it starred uh, Renee Zellweger um, as this character Pam, who basically killed her friend for insurance money, um, and is an all-around awful person. Uh, she's she's pretty much a Karen if there ever was one. So uh, I would say it's worth a watch. Um, they do also have is like the. Um, extras for the show they have you know the original Dateline episodes so you can watch those and see like the, the real versus the uh, the actual um, the show itself you can actually see what the real Dateline episodes were like mm. uh, but it's a, it's a pretty fun watch and then the last thing that I'll bring up is uh, it's only one episode so far uh, but uh, the new se- season of Barry has started and if you have HBO Max and you guys have not watched Barry I would recommend checking it out Bill Hader doing a comedic but also dramatic role. Uh, he plays a hitman who wants to become an actor. Um, it's really, and it's not like a laugh out loud show, but, like, it's got very, like, serious dramatic moments, and then it's got some really funny things happening in it as well. Um, I would, I would recommend checking that out. The third season just started, and I gotta say, Barry's character has great taste in music, uh, cause he's always listening to Metallica. Uh, and he, uh, is from Cleveland, oddly enough. So maybe it was actually based on me, and they just changed the name to Barry from Steve.
0: That's just weird to me that the two things you just mentioned—one was about a person who killed a friend for insurance money—and then you just happened to mention a, a show about a hitman that likes Metallica <laughs> from Cleveland. I just want everybody to know um, if you're listening right now, I'm gonna be like uh, be like uh, a- Adrian Barbeau in the Fog, be like just come to my house and make sure I'm secure,
3: like I'm just. <laughs> I do find it uh, – no, we'll save this discussion for the, mo- for, for yeah. the movie because I was just going to break into something about Adrian Barbo's character. But we'll leave that go for now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, those are the things that I got into. No movies, no, like, real current uh, – well, I guess killing it is current. That's only been out in a couple weeks. But, uh, yeah, those are the things that I watched. I'd recommend all three. If I was going to watch uh, any of them first, I would probably go Barry first and then killing it.
0: I do need to watch Barry. We have HBO Max, and I just um... – I haven't gotten to it. I know, I know I'm going to love it, but it's one of those things that like, I could just feel like the vacuum of it. Meaning like, if I know if I start, it's just, I'm I'm done for that day, you know? And yeah. so I've been, I've been hesitant, you know, not that I wait, not that I use my time wisely anyway, cause I'm about to talk about what I watched, you know, but, but yeah, it's just, I've been, I've been meaning to get to it. It's like, also I know like, um, better call Saul, the new season has come out and I've not signed up for AMC plus yet just because, like I know, like I mean, I want to watch it. I just need to sit down and have time to be dedicated to like a serious show.
3: Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, Barry's episodes are half hour to forty minutes, I think. So, like, they don't constrain themselves to a specific time, but mm-hmm. they're they're not like hour episodes. I Well, can tell you yeah, that, so. I mean,
0: and, but like Better Call Saul is like you know 45, 48 minutes. What it's not, they're not like they're they're for broadcast, right? So they're. They're not that long either, relatively speaking, but I just know that like there's a certain amount of um, awareness that I want to have and I want to be able to devote my full attention to it, you know, and I've not been in that position like the past couple of like days to do it. So uh, this has been a thing that's been a long time coming. I think it's been like what, two, two and a half years since or like like longer since the last season of Better Call Saul. So I'm like, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to find a time where like no one's around. I could just get in a bubble bath. I don't know about that, but like just, you know, like have no distractions, just have all the lights off and just have my headphones on and watch it, you know? And I've not had that um, ability recently just cause you know, things have been going on. The little, the, not, not that like things are crazy, but to have that extended period of time, I haven't felt like I've had it, you know? So same thing probably with Barry, I would owe it to myself to actually focus and not be like fiddling with my phone or, you know, yelling at cats or, you know, splitting the atom or whatever it is
3: that I do in the meantime. I don't know. But so I take it the way you said that I take it. Mary doesn't watch the show.
0: Oh, no, not at all. Uh Things that are serialized are next to impossible Uh to like, just because that's our tastes, like like in terms of like the, the Venn diagram of things that we're interested in. uh It doesn't go that well because like she she doesn't like it's, she likes binging things, but it's like but not <sighs> I don't know how to describe it. Um, like, you know, there's a lot of like, she'll watch a lot of like different like YouTube, like videos, like from certain creators that have like subjects and that's fine, but she can smash a lot of that. But to actually say, Hey, do you want to watch something that has a narrative through line? We'll get mm-hmm. through one or two and then it'll get dropped for like months. And then by the time, like I'm ready, like, well, I've been ready. She'll be like, I don't remember what happened. And it's like, all right, I'm just going to watch this stuff and you watch your thing and we'll, we'll watch the things that make us laugh and have fun but I'm not going to try to force like the more dramatic thing.
3: Okay. Yeah. I, I was just curious because we've had discussions before about like the things we watch with our wives and yeah. the things that we watch on our own. Um, so yeah, just, just the way you said that I was like, Oh, I'm guessing married doesn't watch Well, no, it's just, it's
0: one of those things that too. Also like her, when she chooses her entertainment, she wants to be entertained and like, you know, have fun. And for whatever reason, I want to be a sad sack of shit sometimes. So that doesn't, always, you know, work out very well, you know, <laughs> in terms of like, like, I don't know, like I, I like my drama sometimes. And I like, you know, like I like being torn apart because you know, because you're along for the journey. Right. And, um, yeah, I just found out that doesn't like, like to get her to watch a movie. Um, like what was it? This was a couple years ago. I remember we were, we watched uh black Klansman, right. Cause I mean, that movie has, ha- it has humor in it, but at the end it's like, you know, Spike Lee ends up bringing a lot of uh, footage from oh, uh, that um, white supremacist um, was it, Charlottesville, Virginia. That uh, when that happened, like it just happened right before the movie came out. So he's mm. adding some of that stuff in there too. And at the end, she's just like in tears about like reality. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, we watched a movie called Black Klansmen. I don't know. I don't know how you would. What do you think was going to happen with? I just, you know, like I wasn't trying, you know, I wasn't going to be like. And then racism was solved in the seventies, you know. Like I don't think that's,
3: you know, like so. I, I, you know. There are quite a few people who seem to be under that impression. And are unwilling
0: well, to fair, admit fair enough. No, no, uh, yeah, not to get too far afield, but yes, you're right. No, no, it was solved. It was solved well before every. You know that, that doesn't exist anymore. Whatever, right? So, so the, 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 does that kind of answer your question? Like I already kind of know. Like if it's not something that's on her radar or that she's not going to have like a good time watching, I'm going to watch it on my own. So in terms of that, there's times where I kind of have to have my like, you know, walled off like mental time. And I'm like, and I haven't, and it's not like, it's not that I've like been upset. It's just, I haven't found a window recently that I felt like I had time to, to, to dig into something like that. So that's all I was saying.
3: Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. That's all. Yeah. So, um,
0: so that's what you got into with some TV. You said no no other no other stuff?
3: Yeah. Um nothing nothing else really. Uh, okay. I didn't watch any movies. Uh oh, okay. So uh, let me go back here. So yes, I did I did watch some movies, but I've talked about them before. I revisited uh, the Phantasm series this weekend. Oh, that's so, right.
0: Yeah, I saw you post about um, that. Um uh, that's something that um I've never seen a single one of those yet. So um
3: yeah. I know. Yeah. It- <laughs> Uh, I'm not saying this is how you should do it, um, and God knows that. Watch them in reverse can... order. Wait, no. Well, no. I was going to
0: say.
3: Here, here's the
0: George Lucas version of watching Phantasm. Here's how you have to watch. Got to watch three, so you understand what's going on in one.
3: Whatever. Anyway. No, I was just going to say that uh, um, you have access to my shutter account. Uh, one, three, four, and five are on there two is not well that's not entirely true two may actually be on there but joe bob and again i know that like i went from two three years ago being like i i you know i don't know who joe bob really is so i can't speak to him and now i'm like every week i'm like oh joe bob but uh he his christmas special i think the first year that he came back they did four phantasm movies so you can watch um all four of them with joe bob's commentary and he does some funny bits about like Oddly enough, in, in uh, um, response to our episode last last week, he talks about the different types of drugs you should be taking to watch or the the type of marijuana you should be smoking. we'll put it that way to get through the uh, the phantasm series. but uh, what I like about them is is that they are very surreal and uh, that's normally not my jam when it comes to, you know I, I admit I, I tend to be sometimes a little, you know, point A to point B when it comes to my likes for films, you know, I don't often, I'm not somebody who's like yeah man, the whole movie's like a dream, right? But, there's no plot, see, there's a plot, don't get me wrong, but uh, it's just, I, that's not really my thing I, termed, I tend to be very literal sometimes with film, so to me it's like, oh, this is a series that I really enjoy uh, and I can't quantify why, because it's 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 very dreamlike in a lot of instances. Uh, there's a a lot of things that happen within the story where you're like, wait, what? And normally I'd take it to task for other films, but I don't know why Phantasm gets a pass for me. I think part of it is is that, you know, one of the main characters, kind of the protagonist by you get to the end of the series, is a, you know, middle-aged ice cream man who drives around in a muscle car and, uh, you know, carries a, a uh, four-barrel four shotgun with him. Like, it's... I don't know. It's, it's, it's very like surreal, but also very grounded. Like nobody looks like an, an actor hmm. in that series. Like in the sense of like, nobody is like the, the action star or the, you know, attractive, you know, uh, starlet or whatever. Like the, that's not to say there aren't attractive women or anything like that, but it's just, it's not your typical, like, you know, it's gotta have, you know, um, I was just going to shit on screen, and I don't mean to shit on screen, but like Courtney Cox and, you know, Neb Campbell, like two very attractive women who are your leads in that, that movie. So I'm talking in circles here. Point being, yes, I enjoy those. And if you do want to uh, partake of them, I would highly recommend watching the Joe Bob Marathon that's on Shudder. Okay. Done. Great. <laughs> <laughs> You're
0: talking in some type of rounded silver circle that was flying directly at me. All right. So some kind of sphere with a, with a point. Right. Right at my head. So I appreciate that. So, yeah, but
3: I didn't have a point. Yeah, I no, was
0: just, I mean, you know. okay. Um, no, your point is to watch them and I, I need to. So, uh, that's just one of those, like one of the genre series. That I just, I, I don't know why I just never got to it. And it's a lot of it's readily available and I need to fix that. So, um, what, so speaking of, of genre stuff, so I'll talk about what I got into this weekend, which wasn't much. Um, but on Friday since it was earth day, um, I tend to do, I would prefer to have had an event and to have people over to watch some movies. one of my favorite things to do for earth it just kind of happened is watching animal attack films. Cause I feel like if you're going to celebrate the earth, that earth better fight back and kill people. Right? So, um, you know, like, you know, I remember showing you grizzly for an earth day celebration once. And I, um, I had plans of watching a couple movies, but I only sit down and watch alligator cause I'd recently purchased, um, the, the nice fancy new blu-ray from Shot factory, uh, at the cinema wasteland convention that we'd went to. And, um, I'd never seen alligator before. And I, uh, you know, you could tell that I sent a, you a group text message to you and, 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 Joe, who was on the event horizon episode, uh, alligators, a lot of fun. It was, it punched way above its weight. I, I was not expecting to be like, like um I wasn't expecting it to be a good movie because I mean, it is what it, it's, it's a large alligator in a sewer eating people. Uh But some of the logic that goes on actually kind of works. And how I also like that. They kind of avoid the jaws thing from the jump of where the, like the cop, like the, the, um, the main uh, actor, which is Robert Forrester He's like, yeah, there's an alligator down here. I ate this dude that's down here with me. And at first people didn't believe him within a couple minutes. Like there's definitive proof. And then everyone's like, oh God, there's an alligator in the sewer. So it becomes like, like it isn't, it isn't an issue of like the town not wanting to believe it happened. It's more like everyone's like, holy shit, there's an alligator. We got to deal with it. So I kind of like that approach. The miniatures in this are a lot of fun. I think they, they were never meant to hold up to the scrutiny of a Blu-ray release. So there are bits where you're like, that's a tiny set with a regular size alligator on it, but it's a, it's a delight. And then there's, um, there's a wedding sequence at the end that is just a hoot. Like I had a lot of fun with this movie. So if you guys want something that's like a, like a jaws adjacent, like in that, like large animal goes nuts and kills people film with a pretty well-grounded lead in Robert, um, Robert Forrester, who's actually a pretty believable, and likable main character. He has his own problems, but you like him. Alligator's a lot of fun. Like I, I highly recommend the film. I had a good time with it.
3: Yeah, I I remember uh, liking that movie a great deal. I also like the part where nobody taught him how to drive a car, yet somehow he escaped 20 years later, and he just shows up, (laughs) and everybody's like, yeah. And then Robert Forrester runs in and he's like, there's an alligator. And yeah. There's like, the
0: scene where Donald Pleasance is in the town and behind him, you see the alligator driving the car through the town and it gets a little weird, but you just accept it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, there's, there's the weird thread of like the the main, we find out later that the girl who comes, becomes a scientist, she had a pet alligator named Ramon and it gets flushed in the sewer. And that turns out to be the one later, but the, in the second half of the movie, she's never, she's never like, Oh my gosh, that's Ramon, the six-inch alligator that is now like fifty feet long. I recognize him because of his smile. I don't. There's never that connection made that is it's like this is her problem. It <laughs> never does on her, but yeah, it's it's just it's just goofy enough to work for what it is. But there's some good shots and everything like as much as the answers are kind of garbage, they at least give you answers for why an alligator of that size is existing in the sewer, you know, like for, for, for sake of the alligator universe, you know, and any movie that has kids dying by an alligator attacking them, I'm, I'm, you know, your, your ACE is in my book.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I watched it. I think, I think actually Ryan brought it over to my house sometime with the uh, well, I was going to say within the last two years, but now I'm thinking it's probably pre-COVID. So it was probably longer than two years ago. So it's been a while since I watched it, but uh, I know that that's a favorite of his. He really likes Alexander. Yeah, it's a lot of well. fun. So, so
0: like, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's one of my favorite blind buys that I've had recently. Uh, so I'm glad that I own it. Um, and then the other thing I got to, which was last night, because I, had, um, uh, you know, our friend the the, the Goro that does his uh, his uh, massively successful talk about rhythm podcast, he's doing his animation uh, of like he watches animation films for the month of May. We were on there a couple years ago. You and I talking about Spider-Man, Enter the Spider-Verse and the Star Wars, uh, Clone Wars, the original um, shorts, right? The two seasons, Mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, The animators um, failing me right now that did that. Uh, Genndy Tartakovsky. There you go. I was going to mess that all up. So thank you for saving me there. So good. Like, um, if you guys want that to that, I rest- can remember, but yeah. you know,
3: <laughs> a pirate impression I can't pull yeah, Well, off. whatever, you know,
0: you have, you have your strengths. Uh, so yeah, we've done an animation episode before with him, but he's covering, um, final fantasy, the spirits within, which I love that movie it's currently on HBO max. It was released by Squaresoft uh, or square studios. I think it was before they were uh, anyway, it was like they're big foray into films. And it was uh, like a hundred and like 127 million budget or something. And it absolutely failed in the theater. And that was the only time they ever made like a film like that. Um, I like that movie. It's uh, you, you go back and watch it. Now you're like, okay, none of the, the human like skin texture, like it's all CG, right? It's all computer animated. So like, you know, credit. You know, you got to put your brain in like, oh, this was really revolutionary for the time, but we've gotten so much better with it. Uh, but there's so much in that movie that works. There's so many visuals that work. The performances are really good. Um, you know, spoiler. Who'd have thought James Wood would play an asshole that wants to destroy the world? Spoiler. Um, like, <laughs> but there's some banter back and forth, uh, amongst like, that's basically space Marines. They're called the deep eyes. They're out there. Like, kind of like, they're like the military unit. You got, um, Alec Baldwin lead. Uh, you have, um, Oh, Steve Buscemi's involved too. Ving Rhames, uh, Piper, uh, there was a Piper Gillen and uh, not Piper Gillen. Um, Oh uh, yeah. what's was her name. Um, from Fraser. Uh, um, she was one of them, one of the voices. Daffy? Not Daphne, the other oh, one. Oh, Perry Gilpin. Perry Gilpin. That's it. She used one of the voices as well on that. Um, and so, yeah, it's. I mean, I don't. I don't think you've seen the movie, but I think it's worth your time to check out because uh, it's. Um, it's a complete story. You don't like. It has nothing to do with Final Fantasy in terms of like the video games. It was just that this is a studio that does Final Fantasy games, and they're like, and all those games usually have their own like um, their own storyline and characters. So they're like, we're gonna release a movie that has its own storyline and characters. And then everyone's like, this isn't the Final Fantasy I know. And it didn't do so well. But I think the I think the movie's actually quite good. And I, I revisited it last night and I liked it a lot.
3: Yeah, I okay. I've never played a Final Fantasy game. Um, and when the movie came out, it wasn't like I was like, oh, I won't understand the movie because I haven't seen the game. I just remember looking at the movie and being like, "Oh, this doesn't look anything like I think the games are supposed to be." Yeah, no, it's and it, it's not. It's it's science fiction
0: fantasy, but not like like high fantasy where like big swords and airships and you know dragons and elementals. It's more sci-fi. It's more post-apocalyptic sci-fi, but with fantasy kind of you know you know weird happens right. So
3: it's, I was it's, just surprised that they went against you know a brand that they'd not against, but they had gone away from a brand that they had already created, I guess is, is what surprised me. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some
0: nods here and there. Like one of the characters is named Sid, which is the name of a character that runs through like uh, all the games, like, but it's not the same character, whatever. Like you have some similarities there, but I mean, the whole thing is like this, um, this object hit the earth like 10 years previous to where we're picking up with the movie. And when this thing hit, uh, it released like this, like threat that are these things that they call phantoms that are like, ghostly images of like aliens that they can't like it could, but it's like, you know, these like humanoid shapes, animal shapes, large, whatever. And it's overrunning the earth. And it's like, how do you deal with this? Because if, if they get to you, they basically rip your soul out and you're done. So the whole thing now is the is kind of huddled up in these things called barrier cities. They they found a way to kind of create like a force field to keep them out. And so there's this whole thing of like, How do we, how do we approach this threat? And then there's people that are saying, well, maybe it's not a threat. Maybe it's something we don't understand. And there's like forces at work there. Um, you know, but like, you know, it's, it has its leanings into aliens with, like I said, the, the space Marines, AKA called the deep eyes. They're like an assault unit that go out to, you know, take care of phantoms and, I don't know. Like it's, uh, I really, really dig it. I think it's like maybe cause I saw it in the theater and I'm, I've, I've been like, you know, a mark for it since, but I think it holds up pretty well. And some of the banter works. Okay. I mean, you got Steve Buscemi. How do you not have him saying dumb things sometimes he's entertaining, right? So I know like, it's just, it's, it's a cool movie. And it's also kind of a cool experiment because there really wasn't like a serious all CG movie that had come out at that point. Cause I mean, Pixar was doing its thing. But this was like the first attempt. I mean, I mean by serious, I mean you know it was aiming a little higher in terms of like uh, age group, right? So, um, Mm -hmm. but it's on it's on it's on HBO Prime, no HBO Max right now. Hour and forty minutes. I think it's definitely worth people's time to check out. And then uh, the Goro, he's pairing it up with uh, Final Fantasy Advent Children, which is a film that that they put out years later. That is a direct. Uh, continuation of a storyline from final fantasy seven. Cause they're like, Oh, the last time we did something original, no one wanted to watch it. So now we're going to do something that everybody wants to see. So your mileage may vary.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, I don't have a good reason for not having checked it out. I just, like I said, I yeah, remember being the, like, the oh. name,
0: the name, like, you know, if you're not familiar with the franchise, why would that spark your interest? So think about that's kind of a no win situation, right? You're like, well, I don't know what Final fancy is, or you're gonna be like, well, why do I care about this? And then you're gonna be like, I love final fantasy. What is this? You know, like, I don't think, you know, <laughs> I, I just, I think that, I think the naming of it was poor. Um, uh, they could have just called it the spirits within or something, or like, you know, I don't know, but either way, I, I, I think the movie's, I think the movie's great and it's available on streaming. And, and, yeah, there we go. So that's what I got into was a large alligator and some uh, Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within. That's what I did.
3: Okay. Right. Yeah, I will. Uh, I will add it to the list. Yeah, I think you know
0: that, but make sure you get to Event Horizon first. That's the one you should get to before you get to. Um, both are good, but Event Horizon is you know you should check that out when you get a chance.
1: All right, watch yeah. it. Watch I... it
0: right now. We'll pause. Just watch. I'll wait. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> All right. So, so yeah, that's, that's, that's it for our weekend talk, everybody. Uh, let's just get into, um, we're going to get into our year of Carpenter with 1980s The Fog. And uh, we're going to hear a tra- trailer that gets a little repetitive.
2: John Carpenter's The Fog. This is KAB Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here. And let me be the first to wish Antonio Bay a happy birthday. We're 100 years old today. And keep a watch out for that fog bank heading in from the east. 100 years ago, between midnight and one, something unknown came out of the fog. Now it has returned. Oh, Jesus. One hundred years ago, between midnight and one, something unnatural came out of the fog. Now, it has returned. One hundred years ago, between midnight and one, something evil came out of the fog. Now, it has returned. Who's there? fog. Antonio Bay has a curse on it. We're all cursed. There's no water getting here, but something awful cold
1: did. I think I'll go to Vancouver now.
2: Where's the fog now?
3: It should be right outside my door now.
2: Oh, there's something different about this fog. Dan, stay away from the
4: door! Someone listen to me!
2: Get inside and lock your doors. Close your windows. There's something in the fog. from the fog from the creator of Halloween the ultimate experience in terror and suspense John Carpenter's The Fog starring Adrian Barbeau Jamie Lee Curtis John Houseman Janet Lee as Kathy Williams and Hal Holbrook as Father Malone The fog. What you can't see won't hurt you. It will kill you. Between midnight and one, it will find you.
3: So tonight's special feature is John Carpenter's The Fog. In case you didn't get that from the trailer. uh, Does something happen between
0: midnight to one? (laughs)
3: <laughs> John Carpenter's The Fog What was that title again? The Fog All right. the, the A <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess I shouldn't really be making fun of anybody's voice acting when I couldn't even get a pirate accent right. (laughs) Although, does does that even count as an accent? Well, I mean, this was said
0: 100, like them dying 100 years before, we don't know what they were talking like. Maybe they were just like really friendly pirates, and we don't know that. you know maybe they're really welcoming pirates and then antonio yeah. base screwed them over
3: you know there was no scene in this movie where they walked up to a jukebox and you know hit it with their their fist <laughs> with, in with, their hook, on, with their hook so. with
0: their hook their meat hook hand or whatever it yes it, right so
3: <laughs> all right so uh john carpenter this is his uh Follow up to Halloween. Although in between, you wanted to talk about it a little bit before we jump into the cast. You wanted to mention that uh, um, he yeah. made another film between. Sure.
0: Let me let me. So according to um, uh, this wonderful book, "Assault on the System: The Nonconformist Cinema of John Carpenter," written by uh, Troy Hoarth, um, I highly recommend it. It's been a wonderful resource and an easy read. So after Halloween, so here. So what happened after that? Because there was there was no knowledge yet of how big it was going to be. Right. So, cause we talked about the slow rollout that it was getting some traction, but you know, the, the way production schedules and release schedules, it hadn't. Um, so this, when it was released, it started kind of getting traction, but while it was still waiting to be released and also the TV film, somebody is watching me like Carpenter was getting, he was building up some cred in the industry, but the dividends hadn't been paying off yet. So in the meantime, He was, uh, he wasn't the first director brought the script for the TV film Elvis, but he was like, you know what, I'm going to do this because, um, he saw it as a chance to avoid being typed, uh, as a director of just horror films and rightfully so, you know, sometimes you get stuck in that corner. I mean, well, you know it would become a thing later, but I can see him wanting to, to, to actually show that he has more range than that. So the big things from this is uh, this is when he first met, first met Kurt Russell, right? So that was a big deal. Um, they got him to play Elvis. And so um, he, he liked Russell because he was um, ultra professional and free of any diva like inclination. So, you know, knows his job, doesn't give him shit. Like that, that's a good quality, right? And it's also Kurt Russell, right? The guy grew up acting and, yeah, just you know, this, 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 is the beginning of a good collaboration between the two and a lifelong friendship. So this is a quote about, uh, Russell. Uh, I didn't know much about him, but once we started working together, I was blown away by his enormous amount of talent. Not only that, but his old fashioned actor discipline. He memorized his lines, knew to his marks and understood the mechanics of making films. After that, I knew he could play anything. We're still close friends. So I like, he's like, you know what? He's good at what he does. Get, we get shit done, we're buddies. So I, I think it's worthy of note. I mean, he's not in this film. He was offered a part in The Fog, but I think that was worthy of note. And then also, because of his relationship with Kurt Russell, he ended up meeting Kurt Russell's then brother in law, Leigh Franco, who would actually serve as um, Carpenter's assistant on Elvis, assistant director, and would go on to work as assistant director on the next eight Carpenter films. So that's a good thing too, right? You got to have an assistant that you trust and know that they're going to do their job. So I think that was worthy of note as well. So the other thing about the Elvis film, it was a three hour made for TV movie. Uh, they, they shot it pretty straightforward. Like they didn't want to like glorify the man, but they didn't want to deify him, but they want to show they had like, you know, some faults. But so, Uh, That's important. It actually got nominated for like one of the best television pictures uh, for um, like Emmy or whatever it was at the time. And it it did win that, but um, Carpenter didn't win best director, which that feels weird to me, but it did do really, really well when it came out on TV. So with Elvis, um, like going through post-production, so he'd already finished this, already had Halloween there and somebody's watching me. Um, He, um he went into general. So went into release as previously noted, this is according to the book, it took a while for the full impact of Halloween to be felt. So 1978, when he finished Elvis, uh, it closed out without any real indication that John's career was about to go, go really places. So that's where we come into the fog, right? So he has like, you know, three or four films under his belt. Um, and then because, um, Halloween starts at slow burn. um, uh, Deborah Hill and John Carpenter had made an tentative agreement with Erwin uh, uh, Yablans. I'm, I'm going to mispronounce the name, Yablons, Yablons, sorry, uh, to, to make a film called The Fog. Um, and what happened though, was that during that time, and we'll get more into the production here in a minute, I just want to at least say this before we get into the cast. Um, this changed when Carpenter and Hill received an offer from AFCO Embassy uh, that company was establishing itself as a sort of a new alternative to American international pictures or, um, hammer films, both, which were in their death throes by the end of the seventies. Um, they were courting hot young talents, bringing the men on board to make low budget genre films, albeit low budget genre films that were actually a step in the, with the times, uh, scoring the producer director team responsible for Halloween became a top priority and they offered Carpenter and Hill a much more financially desirable setup compared to what, uh, your had on the table. Uh, so they just did the whole, it's business, nothing personal and elected to take the project to Avco embassy. And that would be, um, that would be, um, something kind of that would follow through, right? Cause you, you know about the history of Halloween and the productions and the producer, this would become a big rift at that point.
3: Yeah. And I, I believe it's discussed on, Either the Halloween Blue, Halloween Two Blu-ray, or or maybe one of the making ofs on that documentary that I mentioned, uh, Halloween or H twenty-five, I think it is. Uh, that was all filmed at like their twenty-fifth anniversary convention. Uh, but yeah, that uh, he's he's gone on record, Yablons has gone on record about how he he, he really felt shafted. Is I guess the best way to put it. Yeah.
0: But he but Carpenters also accused him of kind of like shuffling the books around and not really uh, paying him for Halloween.
1: Like what yeah, no, he feels right? What but, I'm saying is, yeah. is
3: that No, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just was just saying that that's what I know of it. I so I didn't mean to give the impression that Luke Carpenter was some Oh,
0: fault. no 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 no. you're no, I just wanted to provide that because um uh Carpenter's price started going up to direct pictures. So, um he was asking between 150,000 to 200,000 to do films. That was um a lot different than the 10,000 he got for writing, directing and scoring Halloween. Yeah. So pretty significant, right? So I, I can't blame him. I can't blame him and Deborah Hill for going to a different company for this. So, um, so the, the initial origin and then again, I keep, I'm sorry. i like, I just want to at least mention this is that while he and Deborah Hill were together, um, they had, um, taken a strip, to, a strip, a trip to Stonehenge and they visited, um, when they visited England and Carpenter wondered aloud, like, what if there was something hiding in the fog that kind of gave them an idea? And then there's also another event That happened in Goleta, California back in the 19th century, century, where a ship was led to its demise by people along the coast who plundered the wreckage for gold. So those are the two ideas that kind of came together for the fog. Oh, and then, sorry, one more thing I want to mention before we get to cast, because this is going to tie in a second. We already mentioned about how he and uh, Adrian Barbeau uh, got together while the production was going through for uh, for Elvis. Uh, I had this here. Where is it at? Uh, this, you'll appreciate this. This is, this is, I think this is similar to how you and your wife, um, proposed. So, um, this is what happened here. So this is according to Adrian, Bar- Adrian Barbeau. We were staying in uh, his condominium on the beach in Malibu. He was sitting on the sofa in a yellow t-shirt, shorts, flip flops, eating a bologna sandwich with mayo and wonder bread with a glass of milk and a hostess cupcake. He announced that he wanted to talk to me after he finished eating. We'd been together for six months. He asked me to marry him. <laughs>
3: I mean, really, the only difference is is that I don't put mayo on bologna, so No,
0: okay Yeah, I, I'm sorry that you're not fancy and refined. Like, I like
3: <laughs> I'm a ketchup and mustard man.
0: Yeah. Um, So so there we go. So he he um, got married to Adrian Barbeau. Uh, he and Deborah Hill was still working together. They had a very they, they had a very fruitful relationship. Um, And then also they they'd taken their their talents, uh, you know, to South Beach. I'm kidding. To Avco Embassy for this project, The Fog. So with that said, let's get into the cast. Because I think that's a good jumping off point before we get into a little bit more notes about the vlog itself.
3: Sure. All right. So first up, we just talked about her. Adrian Barbeau stars as Stevie Wayne. Uh, I think, you know, she's got such a huge filmography. I, I think that a lot of people have different things that they consider her, you know, as like, oh, it's, you know, for me, I will always think of her as Billy from Creepshow, no matter what she's in. Um, I'm always like, Hey, it's Billy from creep show, even though I know her name's Adrian Barbeau and she's also in swamp thing and a million other things. Uh, I don't know if you have a, a specific thing that you uh, lean towards, but for me, it's always creep show. Yeah, that, um, you know,
0: that's true. Which was like her next role after this, which makes sense with mm-hmm. Hal Holbrook. Um, you know, I, uh, I also want to mention too, that he, when they first did somebody is watching me, they, they cast her there. So that's how they first met. I think I mentioned that previously, but so that was her first big foray into like, Filmmaking, she had done some TV and it was made for TV movie, but this was kind of her launching pad. This was like her big film, like actual film debut was this film. Um, yeah, like I remember her from escape from New York. That's uh, it's probably for me. And then also there was a, a running joke and C lab 2021 about, uh, Captain Murphy, like I always mention Adrian Barbo at a one point he wanted to be an Adrian Barbo bot. So I don't know. <laughs>
3: That's a good joke.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's C lab. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like she is went on to do a ton of things and she even showed up, um, at, we mentioned creep show, but she even showed up in the original episode of the creep show TV series, uh, playing a, a DJ voice. So there we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So little, little, uh, throwback there.
3: Yeah. Uh, next up, Jamie Lee Curtis. Obviously we just talked a lot about her, in her last episode Halloween the one thing that I'll mention here is is that uh, Curtis has gone on quite a bit to talk about how between you know Halloween and this like she wasn't getting offers for anything and that was one of the you know main reasons that she did this movie was that nobody was hiring her which is crazy to think that like somebody who stars in a movie that goes on to become that huge and also is sort of already from a Hollywood family would get tons of offers but I think she's gone on record to say like the only thing she got offered was a Love Boat episode with her mom which I think she did <laughs> and then something else and I don't remember what it was and then she made The Fog but um, you know I, I think it's interesting you know that she she was able to you know break out of that mold and do comedies and action movies and all of, all sorts of other films but it's, it's always surprising to me to hear like actors say like yeah I'm in this huge hit and nobody will hire me like uh, and we'll get to it when we get to the thing, but it while it wasn't a big hit, I know it for Keith David, he thought that was gonna be the thing that that like shot him out there into people's you know perceptions and or into the public, I guess if you will, and was gonna get him you know bigger movies, and you know it didn't I don't think he. That's a discussion for the thing. I won't go there, but it's always surprising to me when somebody's in something that's huge and they don't get work off of it. We'll put it that way.
0: Well, th- that was easy for typecasting back then, and also with the gradual burn of Halloween. I, th- I don't know if like the full impact had been really known yet while this was in pre-production. So you know, it's hard to say, right? But also. You know you're it's oh she's a, she's in a horror film and it's like it's it's now it's easier for actors to move between projects but there was definitely like the tier system right um, well uh,
3: you know it, it's the same way though I, I and I apologize for for cutting you off you know and I don't want to turn this into a Star Wars conversation but I, I believe that you know um, Oh, I can't believe I'm blank, blanking on her name the 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 um, uh, actress who plays Ray, Daisy Ridley, mm-hmm. in Star Wars, has talked about having trouble getting cast in anything else. You know, and you're like, she's the star of like three huge Star Wars movies. You know, that were produced and in, in two of them directed by one of the biggest directors now in Hollywood right now. How is that not make a cachet to like get her into something else? You know, I just and she's done other things. Don't get me wrong, but I know that she said that that's kind of been a stumbling block where she hasn't gotten things where she's like, I'm kind of surprised. I, this is my career is kind of stalled. Uh, and I, I, I'm not saying that like, Oh, you know, Daisy Ridley, you know, is the end all be all, but I, am thinking of in terms of like actresses who are in a huge thing that suddenly doesn't become the thing that somehow gets them to the next thing is surprising is all.
0: That's fair. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. You're right. So it still goes on. I would, I would say maybe not as much or to the same degree, depending upon situation. You know, but, uh, but yeah, like, I think also, I think it's also important though, that like, I think it was important for, uh, Jamie Lee curse take this role because it's it's very different from Lori. Right. And I think, um, it actually benefits her because she's not, I mean, this is an ensemble cast. We should be upfront about that. Like, so she's not a main character, but she is one of the ones involved. And I think that gives Mm -hmm. her a little bit more, a little bit more latitude to kind of like, you know, do something different to, to her benefit.
3: Yeah. And, and on that same note, we'll move on to the next cast member, which is Janet Lee, which is I think that's kind of fun that she got to do this movie with her mom. And it, she does have a bit role in H2O, which will come 20 years later. But uh, the fact that Janet Lee is in this and they were smart enough to be like, you know what, let's not make a mother and daughter, because that's the easy thing to do is yeah. to be like, let's make them mother and daughter in this. And, you know, they're. I don't even think they share a scene together, if I remember correctly. Until, maybe until they, they're maybe... in the
0: church at the end, I think okay. that's it. Okay,
3: yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I just thought, oh, that's that's really interesting, and I don't think I'd picked up on that in previous uh, episodes. And uh, just because I only discovered this, ep- this movie last year, uh, if you guys are going to go look for a Janet Lee film, and you're like, I've already seen Psycho, please check out Touch of Evil. Um, <laughs> yes, yes so i'll just i'll leave that there uh uh and it's it's funny because i need to go and now look into more uh film noir stuff but i'm still singing the praises of touch of evil it's still easily one of the best movie probably that i saw last year so yeah absolutely um next we've got john hausman uh as mr machan he's the creepy guy given the uh Given you the, uh, the, the narration at the beginning as he's telling the story to a bunch of kids about the, uh, the pirate ship. Uh, I don't know if you have any, uh, spe- specific things that you want to talk about with John Hausman. I, I can tell I you from
0: me. Yeah, I looked at his credits and it's, it's a callback to a previous episode we did. He was the narrator for the, the night before Christmas in Scrooged and they named him specifically, yeah. which I thought was funny.
3: Yeah, that's, that's the thing that I always think of him from. He was also on a... And I don't know why I watched this, because I'm sure it had nothing of interest for me being like 10 or 11 when it came out. There was a show on Showtime called The Paper Chase, which I believe was based off of a movie. Um, and he was in that. And for some reason, we had Showtime and I watched it. Um, I don't think I've seen The Paper Chase in 30 years easily, so <laughs> I couldn't even tell you really what it was about. I just remember that he was in it. Okay. Uh Next up, we've got, uh, Mr. Tom Atkins, the Tom Atkins. I think, uh, I, I, I don't know that, uh, it gets bigger than, uh, Tom Atkins when it comes to, uh, uh okay. I was going to say actors with mustaches in a role. I mean, maybe Tom Selleck, but he doesn't have his famous mustache. That's in true. This,
0: but he's, uh, he's, it's, it's like Charles Bronson without the Bronson. Mu- like you, you see, yeah. it and you're like, there's something missing, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. But uh, Tom Atkins, uh, you know, he plays a character named Nick Castle. If you guys are. Yeah. Uh, this Atkins gets confusing. Heard, yeah. <laughs> if, if you've ever heard uh, Carpenter say that he uh, is not good at naming characters. And I don't remember if he brought this up in the last episode or not. But he usually just grabs people's names who he's friends with and makes them characters just because he can't think of new names. Um, so he's he's Nick Castle in this uh, for me. Uh, Halloween three obviously is is you know being Doctor Chalice in that, and then uh, uh, Night of the Creeps uh, he's fantastic in that. Uh, but my first introduction to him was a uh, Lethal Weapon. Uh, he's um, oh I can't remember the character name, but uh, he's he's basically the the character who sort of um, starts off the the movie uh, before we meet Mel Gibson's character. So.
0: Yeah. And, uh, it's I me, mean, it's, it's, it's Tom Atkins. It's Tom casual sex Atkins. And, uh, we, we talked about him in the remake or the update of my Bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just very much a, 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 genre actor, but you know, always, always brings a certain gravity. Right. And this will be the first of the collaborations, uh, with uh, carpenter
3: and a Pittsburgh guy. And honestly, look, I, I don't, talk about people that we've met at conventions unless it's like specific to an episode but uh you know tom atkins one of the nicest people that i've ever met at a convention uh and he was like do you want to take a selfie with me like i'm like well, well yeah i i'm too shy to ask for that kind of thing and he was like do you want to take a picture with me and i'm like yeah <laughs> and then i came across the table or i came across the table I'll make it sound like i went to throttle and but I came around the table, and I believe you took the photo of, of the two of us together. Uh, but just a sweet guy. Uh, guys, if you're going to spend money on a, a celebrity at a convention, you could do a lot worse than Tom Atkins.
1: Yeah.
0: So
3: um,
0: anybody else want to mention? Because I know we have. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I,
3: I know. I'm, I'm, I told. No, 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 no. A no. little just... behind the scenes here, guys. I told Paul that uh, uh, I can only do about two hours tonight because uh, I have a convention tomorrow to get ready for. Yeah. And, uh, Little does he I'm know, going to, on on. I'm going to so, drag
0: this until four hours from now. No, yeah, I'm kidding.
3: I mean, there's, there's, okay. There's four more names that I'll want to mention. So my apologies, we're
0: going to the hours of midnight to one. Cause that's when shit gets weird. No, yeah. <laughs> sorry,
3: guys. Um, <laughs> don't, Steve, don't apologize. You're
0: talking to me and everybody else. Just We'll get to the cast. I just didn't. like just.
3: Well, no, no. It's, you know, you know it. it's, it's like, you know, when my wife is like, oh, what's he doing? Is he checking the mailbox? I told him that he needs to get in the car right now. We need to go somewhere. Oh, God, what's he doing? Uh, he's in the house. He's looking for a pop to take with him. Oh, my God. Why isn't he in the car? I told people we'd be there at five o'clock and he's just putzing around. So, you know. I, I have a Are you my wife? Are you my I didn't know this. Are you, are you my <laughs> I mean I got to put I'm my shoes saying, on. No, well,
0: just could. put your shoes. I got to put my socks on first and it's like and then I have to grow legs. I'm like what
3: why what is going on? Like I don't understand <laughs> that. All right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, my wife uh hates my uh my lackadaisical uh <laughs> way that I approach certain things in the sense of like uh, we told people we'd be there at 5. I'm like, "Yeah, we get there at 5:05. It's fine." <laughs> so uh, It's not fine. But anyway, continue. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I'll go through these last four real quick. Uh, we've got Charles Cyphers as Dan O'Bannon. Uh, you guys may recognize that name, Dan O'Bannon. Uh, he was the subject of Paul's favorite documentary from last week, uh, Memory, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the uh, making of Alien. Uh, but Charles Cyphers, uh, we saw him as Sheriff Bracken in Halloween uh he is also in assault on pre613 uh he makes his a uh, uh, he brought back his character of sheriff bracket in Halloween kills um he's also i i recently made the discovery that he was in major league because uh, i hadn't put two and two together
1: mm-hmm.
3: um but uh charles cyphers makes another appearance as does nancy Kies, who is also oh, in assault on
0: i just realized that he was in grizzly 2 the revenge oh no oh, well- Oh, no. All right. There you go. <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, the, oh, continue, please. I'm now yes. traumatized. Continue.
3: <laughs> Nancy uh, Kyes as Sandy Fidel. You guys will recognize her also from Halloween and Assault on Precinct 13. Uh, she doesn't do very much more after this. She does appear in Halloween 3. Um and she does make a brief appearance in Halloween too, but she's on a gurney. She's dead. Uh, but, uh, and
0: also she plays. So one of her last roles after that real quick. Cause I just covered this recently on, uh, the other podcast that I do strange highways where we're watching the twilight zone sequentially nor into the eighties. She was in a segment called little boy lost. And this was her title frumpy housewife. Um, Oof. and she's just, and she's in the thing for a half second. Cause I think that segment is directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. I think. Um, and, uh, but she's like at a zoo and she like looks and says something like to the person the, the main characters, uh like they're a photographer. And it's like, all right, so you go from the f- like uh Halloween, sorry, Sol Precinct 13, Halloween the Fog, Halloween 2, Halloween 3, and then Twilight Zone, and then um a film in 92 called Lady Boss. Wow. That's it. All right. Frumpy Housewife to Lady Boss. All right, so which is a shame because she's really good, like her kind of sardonic way she carries herself through all the movies. I could have used more of that. I kind of like that. I kind of like her. She has this like I she has a good like sarcasm that I enjoy.
3: Yeah, yeah. I uh I actually it was kind of surprised. I I don't know this for a fact, but I do believe she had some issues with fame after the Halloween movies came after Halloween came out mm. and maybe it was after this came out. I don't know, but I think she'd had some stalkers or something weird happen oh, well, that's, to her as well that's that's that, that might have Okay, yeah. Yeah, that might have played into it. I can't say that for a fact. I'm just basing that off of a memory that I have of watching a documentary 10 years ago. So, you know, I can't get things right on the day of, let alone (laughs) remember something for 10 years.
0: If I Uh, I didn't have a book or, like, a computer in front of me, like, all bets are off, right? So, yeah, yeah, I get it.
3: Uh, So, uh, next up is going to be Hal Holbrook. Uh, Hal Holbrook is, uh, for me, again, it goes back to Creepshow, but the guy has, like, you know, a huge filmography. He won uh, an Emmy and a Tony. Um, he's in uh, All the President's Men. Uh, he was in Lincoln, which I can't speak about authoritatively because I haven't seen it, but I can give you theories on it. Just kidding. Um, but uh, Hal Holbrook uh, is. Um, I, I don't know. I would say that this. it's He's Father Malone in this. I don't know that I'd say he's. 'Cause it is a ensemble cast, but he's his character, while not like the focus of the movie, has the most important piece of the puzzle when it comes to what's happening within the film.
0: Yeah, no, he's very recognizable, like a great actor. Uh, um, I I recently saw him like the last year in uh, Magnum Force, the Dirty Harry film. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, throw a dart. The guy's in everything, but he's so good at what he does, you know, and he's very, he also brings a gravity to this that I think you could have easily just shoot up the scenery and you get more of a sad, like broken man that's trying to atone versus somebody that could have just like, you know, could have been a cartoon character, and it really works. Yeah,
3: yeah. and then lastly, uh, we've got uh, George Buckflower. Um, probably the thing that people know him the most for is is he's a uh, uh, in Back to the Future is is the the bum who's laying on the bench when Marty takes off in the DeLorean. <laughs> um, but uh, he would go on to be in. Uh, quite a few uh, Carpenter films. This is his first Carpenter appearance. Um, For me, I'll always think of him as the traitor in They Live. Uh, He also appears in uh, Escape from New York, Starman, uh, and A Village of the Damned is what I'm showing here. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make mention of him just because uh, he's going to be somebody that's going to pop up as we, as the year goes along. Gotcha.
0: So I have, I have a couple more I want to mention here real quick. I'm
3: sorry, Paul, we're out of time. Okay,
0: great. All right, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> no, we have uh, we have Tommy Lee Wallace as a ghost. Thought that'd be worthy of mentioning uh, Rob Boteen as Blake the main uh, pirate because he's just a huge dude. And uh, then also Darwin Johnson, Jostin shows up as Dr. Fibes, which is another reference to another series of films, but we know him as Napoleon Wilson from a on precinct 13. Cause I, when I, when I show up as a doctor, I'm like, he better ask Tom Atkins for a smoke and he didn't do it. But, um, you know, <laughs> I thought that would have been amazing. Right.
3: (laughs) That would have been hilarious. It it makes me want to go back and just film that one scene.
0: So just like, just be like, got to smoke. I got to tell you some bad news about this dead guy in this room in here. (laughs) Um, So, okay. Also, if if people have not seen this film, go watch it. It's a lot of fun. I think that we did a disservice upon watching this. I did not realize that we screwed up our scheduling for the month in terms of our shows not only did we do our alien episode early because we were going to do our year of carpenter. So we missed, um, you know, alien day, which is like April 26th. Because of that, we missed the, like the actual date in the movie of when, um, the shit goes down of April 21st. Did you notice that when we were watching this, that it's like, Uh, Oh, we were a week late. (laughs) Like, I was like, I had no idea that we were actually going to be on time for something. Because we were trying to plan ahead,
3: <laughs> I blame myself. No, I, whatever. I, just, I thought that was funny. I was watching. <laughs> this, I was like, "Oh no, we're a
0: week late." You know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, I guess, so the fog is. It's a story of the town of Antonio Bay. And forgive me. In every one of my notes, I almost wrote Botany Bay over and over again. Um, Botany Bay. Botany Bay. Botany Bay. You know. <laughs> Um, just if Chekhov was in this, this would've been amazing. Um, you know, um, yeah. So you know, Orcon would have been also great too. But so it is the story of this like sleepy coastal town that they're on the 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 cusp of their 100th uh, anniversary. Uh, but it turns out that like uh, when that happens, we got our our uh, father uh, by played by Hal Holbrook, who uh, Father Malone, who is uh, deep into his cups after he yelled at um, John Carpenter handyman. Uh, to come back. Cause I thought that was funny seeing carpenter there for a second. Um, like an un, un, uncredited right as the handyman. Um, but something happens close to the stroke of midnight where part of this, um, church wall give breaks loose and it reveals a, a diary, a journal. And then, so the father who is a drunkard and kind of a, like a sad man, uh, sees this. And then we find over the course of that night, over the course of that one hour, Things are going weird in Antonio Bay. We're getting car alarms going off. We're getting clock stopping. We're getting, um, I don't know, dogs barking. Um, guys working in supermarkets and drinking from orange juices and putting them back after they drink from them. Um, I don't think that has anything to do with the curse of what's going on, but that was gross that the guy that was sweeping and was like, I'm going to take a drink of this and cap it back on and put it back on the shelf. Um, especially in 2022, you're like, you would be arrested for that for drinking something and putting it back like that. But we, everything's weird, right? For that one hour, um, there's a, a boat out in the distance called the seagrass that is running afoul of a weird moving fog bank. And we find out about what's going on there, but we also have our character of a Stevie Wayne who works the most unique schedule for a radio person. Cause she owns a radio station at a lighthouse and she works from what six to one in the morning playing jazz that no one wants to hear
3: um <laughs> the way you said that though i don't know if you remember the episode uh of the simpsons where um the jazz man dies um bleeding gums uh, murphy right yeah, yeah bleeding yeah. gums murphy and uh they go looking for his uh record they get it played on the local jazz station Was it
0: uh, kbbl or that wasn't the jazz station but that's the springfield station right KBBL. yeah
3: yeah <laughs> and uh Uh, He talks about how it only reaches, like, 250 feet outside the the station... And making it the largest jazz station in the world. (laughs) That's not dissimilar to
0: my college radio days. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we have her like, you know, run like she, um, so she's there and talking to the, like the local weather station and she sees the fog. And and so at first it's weird, but then this is an ensemble. So we also have, uh, Tom Atkins as Nick Castle, just a guy driving through town. He ends up picking up, uh, Elizabeth who is a hitchhiker, um, and so there's a lot of these different threads right going on. So we, but we find out though that that night things are going sideways. Something's in the fog, something's coming back and it's just a precursor to what's going to happen the next day. So that, that I think I did, I do a decent enough job of kind of setting up the movie at like where we're at now in terms of our talk about it. Yeah, I, okay. I think
3: so. Um, I,
0: normally I, I botch that.
3: I follow my keys and I'm like, it's about a guy stab stuff. Good luck, everybody. you know, <laughs> Well, the thing that I wanted to talk about, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like, you know, Carpenter, he he came from these roots of wanting to make, like you, you talked about, how he, you know, he's a big Western guy, wanted to make westerns, and he makes, you know, Sultan Precinct Thirteen, which is uh, an updated, it's kind of a western, but it's not. It's it's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for it, here? It's, it's, his, a, it's his
0: love letter to Rio Bravo. That's what what right. it is. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's an action film nonetheless, but there's more going on to it than just your typical action film. Um, And then, you know, with Halloween, you know, he is sort of creating something, I don't want to say new, because I I discussed during that episode that, you know, everybody is eager to point out that everything that happens in Halloween, someone else has already done, fine, great, whatever. But it feels contemporary. It's a, a film that even to me, and I know that this is just part of the fact that Uh, as I've gotten older, that, you know, the things that I grew up with feel timely to me. I understand that. But, like, that film, you know, still feels contemporary, whereas with this, this feels very much like Carpenter being like, I want to do an old-school, like, horror-style movie. Like, I want to do something that's more akin to something that you might read in an EC Comics, you know, uh, in an EC Comic, or something that, like, you would see in black and white. Like I, I watching this movie and, um, I'll just say this, the, the transfer for it's, uh, beautiful on the, 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 uh, shout factory, uh, slash stream factory, uh, blue. Uh, it's, it looks great. Uh, it looks really good. Um, but I kept wondering, I was like, man, this movie would be so much cooler if it was in black and white. Like there's something about it. it it's got this old time feel to me, but it feels very much like Carpenter was trying to make his, you know, uh, I don't want to say an ode to, you know, the, the horror movies that I grew up with, because he grew up with, um, you know, the Atomic Age stuff. But it feels very much like a... In, in a sense that, you know, uh, you know, George Romero is going to make Creepshow at the same time, it feels very much a throwback to that sort of classic horror story. Like, there's nothing here that makes me go, oh, yeah, this feels like it's, you know... No, you're not this, wrong. This story could have taken place at any time period. It does. It's not specific to the time that's made.
0: So you're not wrong. Cause so like this, um, like I'm not going to jump too far ahead, but, um, so he was going, so this is the, this is the word that will sum up this film. It is atmospheric. That's the word that mm-hmm. you want to use to describe this, but, and we'll get into some of the the problems a little bit later about what was going on with this. But, um, he, Carpenter was aiming for like a Val Luton film. So Val Luton, um, he he actually uh, was, he was a producer on uh, cat people. I walked with a zombie, uh, the body snatcher. These are all from the forties, black and white moody pictures, right? Um, The ghost ship um, uh, was it uh, Isle of the dead. Um, Like I know all these, I apologize, but I I saw that this was referenced in the book and it's like, if it's something that he was interested in, influenced him, you're hitting the nail on the head. Like when you're like, I think this is what he was going for. It is what he was going for. And so, you know, um, credit to you, Steve. I, I don't know. I don't think I have a, here one of these. Hooray! There you go. You Hooray. You got it right. I wasn't trying to quiz you, but I think you hit the nail on the head of also having like this ensemble, like bigger, bigger kind of cast where it's like this town's being affected. But you're right. The, and This would have played. I think this would have been an interesting black and white film. Not that the color palette here isn't interesting because the film is pretty rich looking. But I think you're right about the vibe of it.
3: Yeah, and it's it's not that thing of oh you know it, it's it's lesser because it's just it's just one of those movies like uh, okay and it's unfair because I'm gonna bring up something like The Mist, which is similar in scope and in in a sense of like an ensemble cast and there's a a mist coming in, but like there is a, a black and white version of that that I think is actually plays better than the colorized version. And I, and, and I'm almost like wondering to myself now, I'm like, well, would I have had that thought had the black and white version of the mist not exact existed. But, uh, I do think that this movie feels very much more at home, uh, with those movies of the forties and, uh, <sighs> Because I, I, I want to say it almost feels more like I keep wanting to go back to EC Comics it it does feel, this feels at home with Creepshow, like this if you gave me a double feature of the fog and Creepshow I'd be like, oh yeah, these two movies really seem to be playing with the same types of storytelling, it, it, and admittedly one is an anthology film but if you look at the color palettes of both of them and the way the stories are told, there's very much a um, Boy, I don't, well, I don't want to say a older feel, but go on.
0: I was going to say that, um, the two things, one talking about, remember we're talking about Avco uh, embassy, you know, saying that they kind of stepping into where AIP and hammer was They're, you know, you mentioned EC comics, like that kind of fits in, in line with that. And also too, this film isn't an anthology, but it is very, um, it's, it's very much full of vignettes in a lot of ways. Right. So it's, it's almost, it's not an anthology, but some of the little bits are kind of self-contained and they kind of are doing their own thing. And it, you know, there, there's a whole package that kind of wraps it all up, but like, you know, there's, you know, the original bit of when you got, um, you know, Tom Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis driving in the V like their car. And like, you know, like something just breaks all the windows and they're like, yeah, we should get going. Like, yeah, let's just do that. You know, like, and then, like the whole bit of them, like they have their own little arc. And then there's the arc with the seagrass. There's the arc with like there. You could almost like in, in there's actually um, in the in the book too. I was reading this all in the system. Uh, it was said it was it here? I was reading in the trivia that Carpenter even had in the back of his head that he would. It would be really fun later on to do like a an anthology series based on the fog. Where it wouldn't be so much related to this story initially, but it'd be kind of like these different threads, and then eventually you'd see how it all kind of connects to this original one. So again, you're you're on point with your thought process, and I'm not trying to pat you on the back. It's just this is you're you're in lockstep with what Carpenter was thinking. So, and also the fact that you you write and draw a comic about a person that goes to a small town killing people, you know, give yourself you. Know, uh, Steve Carpenter. Congratulations. Change your last name from King to Carpenter and no one will ever give you grief.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's no way anybody would uh, make that connection about the Siren Slasher and Halloween and Carpenter. So I think I'm good. I think I'm safe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, you know, the thing that I think is interesting about this movie is that, uh, you know, you just mentioned how there's vignettes with different characters. And it is interesting to see how the, the story breaks down. Um, and and. There's not a specific focus given to any one character because uh, typically when I think of an ensemble cast, I do think of them as being like all involved within the story throughout the entire film. And while they are all involved within the story, they're not they're all independent of each other, which I do find fascinating. Like typically. okay, so (laughs) this is probably a poor comparison, but I remember one of the issues that I had with uh, Star Trek. From beyond? No, I always want to say from beyond. It's just Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> it it um, gets a
0: little weird with Jeffrey Combs in there. Like
3: you
0: know, <laughs> he's playing an Andorian that has seen things. You know,
3: <laughs> he shows up, his pineal gland pops out of his head. It's fine. Um, the two of them. That's what that's what an Andorian is, right? Like, <laughs> uh, but I, I think you know, with that movie, I was like, God, I love this cast so much. I want to see a movie where they're just all in the ship and dealing with each other and acting together, and the movie splits them up. And I feel like with this, it's it's it is the reverse of that. I don't mean to say like, oh, this cast should be all together, but it's it's interesting that everything is sort of separated out until it comes together at the end. Um, because honestly, they're all just sort of tangentially tied together by Adrian Barbo's Stevie in this at this point. So it's a, it's. It's an interesting uh, point of view to have uh, when you're writing the script, I would say. Um, and I don't know that we see that, you know, I don't know that we see that in modern movies as much anymore either. I think that they do tend to um, focus a little bit more on telling an overall story. Uh, although I'm sure there are plenty of examples that I'm not thinking of where people are like, no, that's still a. A device that's used quite quite often in a lot of films. Well, I think uh, I think you
0: see that more now in like when we get to the more prestige television, right? Like you get a lot more a segregation of um, you know, of, of plot lines and characters and a little bit more development. And that allows more room to breathe. It's harder to do that in like you know, this this film comes in at what, like 85 minutes too? Like it's crazy how how short this film is for what it's trying to do. Uh, mm-hmm. It says 90 minutes, but come on, like you got to tack on, um, you know, that the extended credit sequence that, that shows like the entire town of Antonio Bay. And you're like, Oh, there's another credit here. Like,
1: <laughs> you know,
3: <laughs> and then also the, the yeah, go, go ahead. I don't need to make a, another, I don't mean to make another reference to the Simpsons, but, uh, uh, in the early seasons of that show, they would find ways if they were coming in short to either lengthen the opening, uh, because they're like, well, we can do whatever we want with couch gags. So they they would do longer couch gags if an episode was running short, or they would find ways to like, well, let's just cut back to Homer thinking something, and then have Dan Castanella Castanella I can't say his name correctly
0: Castanella yeah
3: Castanella uh, you know say say a line back and forth over and over again, and then we'll come out of the scene when we have the time. <laughs> but I, I just I think that that's funny. It, it's like you know. Because uh, I was reading that, you know, this was short when he he created it, and or when they originally filmed it, mm-hmm. and I believe they uh, added some additions to it, particularly the beginning uh, story uh, from uh, John Hausman, which I
0: think mean, that's um, I think that's a, that a masterstroke because it sets up like this. It's a ghost story. It, it's a it's a campfire tale, and I think it really like it really works, right? Because also it's a way to do that, and you have this enraptured audience of kids, right? And you have this person being very like, you know, you could have easily seen Donald Pleasance doing this, but he would have been like chewing up the scenery and yelling at the kids to get away from the trees. Uh, But um, he'd just been in a bush telling the story the entire time. Right. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) you get the story of the ship and like the, the myth, right. And, and the, the idea of the fog, like I don't, the movie would have been perfectly fine without it, but I think that sets this like, Oh, this is the title of the film. Here's here is the ghost story of Antonio Bay. And then with Hal Holbrook's character, we soon find that he learned the reality of the ghost story. Like, I don't, I don't know if this film works without that.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I'm going to bring up another movie where you're like, I can't believe he's bringing this movie up. But I remember when we were discussing a tour back in our days. Yes. You know, you're,
1: yes. Knock off.
3: Oh, if anybody has
0: a bingo cart at home and they're drinking, I did not foresee an ATOR reference tonight. Oh my God. Uh, go sail on, sail on gravy boat, sail on or whatever, Steve, come on. Oh, kudos to you. I am, I am over the moon right now. Thank you.
3: But I, I, I remember that film opening with a very lengthy, I don't even want to say monologue because it's, I believe somebody's reading it as it's on the screen, but it's like, I feel like a good solid minute of people telling you all the mythology and you know lore that you need going into the first scene of Ator. And I was like, oh, this is not a good sign. Like, I knew right away, I'm like, there's somebody who's got to explain to me what this movie is before it even starts. This is a, a m- much better way and much more interesting way to do it. And you're right, I don't know that it works without it. I don't know that... It necessarily has to be in there, but if you're going to do this type of scene, you know, whether it's the crawl in Star Wars or it's John Houseman sitting around telling you about, you know, the curse or uh, Friday the 13th part four. One of the things I love about that is, is that the, you know, first minute, minute and a half of it is they took the campfire scene from, I think it's part two and where he's telling the legend of Jason and just cut in everything that was from like the first three movies within that like minute, minute and a half as he's t- talking about, uh, let me tell you guys about Jason. And I think it works so well because when you pick up right from the beginning of that to, you know, finding him in the barn at the end of from the end of three, you've got everything that you need going into that movie. And it builds this legend of who Jason is, you know, if you haven't seen the other Friday the 13th and it sets up like why quote unquote the final chapter would be an important story uh i think in in this case it's a masterful way to do that and i think it's also an entertaining way to do that because john houseman you know him being the narrator and scrooge that's not like an accident like the guy has a very prim and proper sort of refined delivery like he's an actor if you will so
0: i think that works it gives it gives gravity to it, right? Mm -hmm. And then the whole with the watch and then snap and close the watch, even though his story takes like what like, um, it's like two and a half minutes or whatever. And they're like, it's five minutes to midday. Like, whatever, I don't care. This is, this isn't uh, James Cameron to the minute timing of things. That's fine, but it works and it gets, it gets you in that vibe of like, oh, shit's going to go weird. And then the prolonged credit sequence shit gets weird, right? Like, like, <laughs> so normally like, and you, this will reference when you talk about the phantasm films, which I have not seen how sometimes like the more like kind of surreal, like unexplained doesn't work for you. Like, but that kind of works for that. This where you get chairs moving on their own, you get car alarms going off, you get dogs barking, you get clocks stopping. Um it kind of worked for me because it it almost felt like to me that like even though the people aren't aware, like like the area knows, like, oh no, shit's about to go bad, and we're trying to warn you, type of thing, where like, you know, it's like something's coming due. And things aren't going to add up, the world's breaking down around them. I kind of I was kind of okay with it. Normally I'm not, because like sometimes like, give me some rules. Cause this film, like, its rules get a little weird about how they handle things. But I was kind of okay with setting the atmosphere. Because again, atmosphere is the key to this film. Like, if you don't want to drink in the atmosphere, then there's probably no reason to like for you to be here to watch it. Cause you're gonna be left unsatisfied because the the violence that happens early on, and then there's like, it's like, oh, it's nighttime. It's an hour of nighttime. And then somebody with the hook hands like knocking on Tommy Atkins' door. And then that's all we see. And then the rest of it's during the daytime. It's like, wait, this film's called The Fog. And then, but the middle portion of the film, it's just people asking questions. <laughs> you know, it feels like the escalation portion versus like Halloween, I guess, like how mm. it bakes in. And the second half is like full tilt. This is a very odd it's a, it's an odd vehicle right and i'm not against it it's just i was expecting this whole film mainly to be a night with the fog other than we get one we get one fog taste and then we got to wait <laughs> <You> know, like,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i do think that the characters are all interesting enough that walking through their stories uh while you're watching this film i think that that helps keep that and I, I, I don't know that I say that this is a slow burn, but I, I do feel like you're invested enough in the the individual characters in their stories mm-hmm. that you're not like, man, when's this fog going to show up? Like <laughs> yeah. I want more. Of it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something that you're like on the edge of your sh- seat. Like, oh, when's that fog going to show up? I mean, I will say, you know, and it, it hits me every time that I watch this. I'm like, we really don't cut back to Father Malone. Uh, is it father Malone, Hell Hallmark's character? Yeah, for quite a bit. We see he, like he's mainly
0: in three portions of the film. yeah, that's it, right. three three main scenes that he has, which, you know, like he doesn't overstay his welcome but yeah, at the beginning. And then whenever, um you know, the person, the Lee's character who is like trying to like like do the big town celebration goes to see him because he's supposed to do the benediction, and He's like, oh, by the way, um my grandfather, Um, this is blood money. (laughs) And then she's like, I don't want to trouble people with that. (laughs) Which that sequence is amazing. Him reading it out and then watching her and, um, oh, um, we got, uh, was it, um, oh, Nancy keys. Yeah. Nancy, Nancy keys, how they're just like listening to him. And it's like, and how Mm -hmm. we find out that like, there was a ship full of lepers that wanted to do a colony slightly North. And they're like, we'll pay you. And they're like, yeah, come on over. But then they, they, um, tricked them into crashing against the rocks and then they went and got the gold and how like his grandfather, who was like the person that started this church, it was like, this is blood money. And then he's already this broken drunk that has like these faith issues. He's like, oh no, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> which I thought that was all like, that was all pretty tightly written. Like I'll, like, I'm not a big ghost story guy. Um, I have been talking about this recently on Strange Highways because we I just banging the mic because we just did a we just did a ghost story or something to that effect. Um like but it's give me something to kind of like latch onto and I'm like, oh well there there was a boat of lepers and they're like, oh, they're falling apart and they're gross. We don't want them near us, but we'll take their money and we'll screw them over. I'm so glad that we as a society have moved on from that
3: type of activity. So my question to you, knowing uh <laughs> Like you're
0: skipping right by that, but continue, please.
3: (laughs) No, in in, I was just thinking about this in our discussion about John Hausman. Uh, essentially giving us an opening narration as he's telling the story to children. Would this have worked better had this been a tale of the Midnight Society and they were just sitting around the campfire? God damn
0: it. I, no, I just, uh, yeah, it's a story you're afraid of the dark, like the tale of the leper pirates, you know. Um, yeah. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. The tale of the fall apart pirates or whatever, you know. like you know, um, the, the tale, sorry, I
3: had to like, go for the low-hanging
0: fruit. The I tale of... of this is the, the tale of the Moist Boys. That's, that's, um, I, that was, I, I was pitching Steve the idea of a Moist Boy Summer, but we're not going to get there. But maybe later. Maybe we'll do Moist Boy Summer later on. I don't know. These pirates were Moist Boys. I'll tell you that much. But um, uh, <laughs> they, so I think,
3: I think were.
0: having the folklore of the Campfire Tale is a great way to set it up. But then having the reality of um, him reading what happened is a mm. great bookend to show, oh shit. Like this is real and this is where the legend has grown from. I thought that was I thought that was really effective. I like that a lot. Um, you know, also like I was taken aback when the church broke a rock and almost killed him. You know, like I just think like, like it just fell. He's like, oh shit, I'm glad I wasn't near the desk then, because I was trying to hand, you know, the radio back to to John Carpenter. Um, but whatever. Like that all works. And I think that's very effective. Um
3: I- I'm sorry, continue, I did please. I did wonder uh what John Carpenter you know what the work was that he was doing and then he's like uh hey father do you think it would be okay if I you know got, got paid and the father's like how how about you should come in like at 6 instead of 4 it, it, do you think
0: he's commenting on his film career at that point <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> He's like but he, also, he's I'm like, like what you Blands, is- you you told me i would get paid and he's like nah, come back later you know. What work was John Carpenter doing there? Because I, I'm just wondering if he didn't just, you know, loosen that brick and he's like,
0: <laughs> he, do you think he missed an opportunity not calling himself John, the carpenter in that role?
3: <laughs> this is my carpenter. Yeah. John. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, I missed opportunity, but yeah. So,
3: um,
0: so yeah, like that all works for me. Um, also I'll say that, The fruit, when the seagrass is out there and there's the fog bank that's moving, like I like the idea of whenever we got Stevie talking to the weather guy about like the fog bank kind of like operating against like the winds. That's creepy. I think that works. But when the seagrass, there's the one guy, I think, I think it's actually Tommy Lee Wallace that he was just like, ugh. That's not a fog. Oh, there's a fog bank. You sound like Scruffy from Futurama. Um, <laughs> but when they first see, when the fog rolls in, you see the masts of the ship and like the sails. That's a yeah. great sequence. That's really, really good. And then you hear, here's also the key to this film too not only atmosphere, sound design, because the same thing with like Halloween, to not the same degree. The music here is good. Some of the stingers are a little, little over the top of whatever. I, it's an 1880s movie. I'll, I'll deal with it. The sting, the, the, the brrr, whenever the ghosts are attacking, whatever. It's fine. Um, but um, the sound, like you hear the sound design of like whatever's coming on that boat is dropping off. Like you hear them dropping into the water. And then when they actually attack the people at the seagrass, you don't see blood, but you hear the damage. It's way worse. It's so much worse.
3: Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting, too, that, again, I, this kind of goes back to our discussion about Alien. Uh, I thought we saw way more of the zombie pirates, if you will, uh, in this movie than we did. As I was re-watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, there's... Re- I mean, yeah, you see them, but they're always in shadow, or you're just basically seeing Loretta their eye or whatever. Like, you're not seeing them until probably closer to the end. Um, And I was kind of surprised by that because I'm like, oh, I I remember walking away from this movie. And again, it's not something that I, you know, have fond memories of that I watched as a kid or anything like that. This is something that I've only seen within the last 15 years uh, is a first time watch. And I'm like, "Ah, you know, I just, I felt like I saw way more of them than I did in this movie. and And I think that that's super effective.
0: Yeah. And even their presence, like you really don't get a good look at what they look like. Ever. And it's like, I think that works. Like, I mean, you get the bit later on when Stevie is on top of the top of the white house and she pulls she attacks one of them and pulls away part of the face. Um, and, but then, you know, like you never get a good look at Blake. You never, you never really get a good, a defined look, which works to the strength of this film because these things operate in the fog, which is supposed to be this like, you know, thing you can't see clearly through anyway. So I'm fine with that. I think that's pretty great. I think it's a, I think it's a bold choice, but it's also kind of like, we're going to let your brain fill up the terror. Right. And I think that works a good deal. Um, so I did like that. It was not that, I mean, not that I needed to see full on ghost pirates, but like, you know, if, if you don't have the budget, which this whole film cost $1 million at the time, that was low. Even then, you know, think about yeah. like, you know, um, you know, then you, you, you use, uh, your brain and the atmosphere, to get the terror across. And I think Carpenter and company did a really good job of that.
3: Yeah. I mean, if you're thinking about budgets, you know, Halloween is 300,000. This is a million. I, if you look at the scope of this film compared to Halloween, you know, I, there are things that Carpenter does within Halloween that make you go, Oh yeah, this is clearly a low, lower budget film. You know, there's a lot of staying within one location. There's a lot of, uh, you know minimal characters like there's a whole town and there's a whole ensemble of characters in this there're uh, it, it I don't want to say like oh, it's triple the budget but when you're you're tripling a budget of something that's not that big of a budget in the first place, tripling it still isn't a lot of money to make your next movie off of
0: yeah so you know, <laughs>
3: especially one that's as uh, you know, ambitious. I will say is this, um, well, and that's yeah. the other thing that I'll say. You know, we talked about that with, you know, Carpenter with a on precinct thirteen, trying to punch above his weight. I feel like that's definitely the story of, you know, Halloween and this.
0: Well, and also we talked about his production style and shooting on like you know higher class film and editing and sound design because he always wanted things to look good, which you just mentioned it does. You know, like yeah, for what like so. Just because it's low budget, that doesn't mean you can't put like every bit of it on the screen, which I mean, you know, some of the fog effects, like some of like the the later stuff is a little, a little weird, but it, it is what it is. Like, like I, I get it. So that's I'll, I'll mention this here too. This this like, as we move along here. So it became apparent. This is from the book, uh, in the system. It became apparent, um, early on the fog would be tricky to film as Halloween had been smooth. The problem was the fog itself. Scenes involving the, the, the titular menace uh, was incredible, difficult, diffi- diff- incredibly difficult to get down. The smoke machines would pump out the requisite amount of fog light ambience, but there was no control of its movements. A good deal of the film was shot on location in point race, and the weather didn't always cooperate. A sudden gust or a change of the wind direction would wreak havoc uh, with the fog, and scenes would take forever to get up and get going again as they waited for the smoke to disperse before starting over. Uh, even so, Dean Cundy, um, who we need to always talk about here because he's done amazing stuff because I think he did that for Halloween too. Um, mm-hmm. Use of backlighting effects help to create the appropriately eerie ambiance. So that's another thing too. This film actually looks like when it's a nighttime, it looks like night. You know, it's, it's it's not always easy to get that, right? Where you get like that pitch black like, ar- like around the edges like sometimes yeah. and it's like that looks good. Like there's the bit whenever you get um, Atkins and um, – um, Jamie Lee Curtis driving around right trying to like listen to the radio and everything it looks like it's the middle of the night like it looks pitch black out and it works really
3: really well. I don't know if you know this. It's a little known fact that 25% of all the smoke effects uh, in this movie came from John Carpenter <laughs> smoking cigarettes.
0: <laughs> the original the original title of the film was He Fog, right? <laughs> to it.
3: There is a shot in the movie, too, that I want to mention. It's not like a special effects shot or anything like that. It's just a shot that I, I thought was really cool. I guess I, I'm a sucker for any time you do something with a mirror. Um, I don't know why that is because I'm always like I can't see the camera or oh that's an interesting shot. But when Jamie Lee Curtis is running up to Tom Atkins' truck, y- you see his mirror and you see her face like coming towards the, the mm-hmm. mirror, and I was just like oh man that's a really cool shot because it's you know it, it's there. I don't want to say it's you know superfluous, but it's it's not like it's there because it's a storytelling. It's just an, a choice that he's making that I'm like. Oh, this makes it a little bit more artistic or dynamic. Uh, yeah, dynamic. Yeah, and I'm like, God, that's such a cool choice. I really like that he, you know, he he chose to do something like that in a shot that a lot of directors would just be like, "Wow, I'll just take it from the side where she's getting into the truck," you know? No, that works. I, You're right. Um,
1: yeah.
3: and yeah, and again, look, I've never picked up a hitchhiker, but I can guarantee you, if I did. I've never passed a hitchhiker that looks like Jamie Lee Curtis, so um, <laughs> I'll just say that certainly uh, might be where uh, this uh, delves a little too far into uh, being science fiction. But, i just uh, say not
0: the, not the ghost pirates that you're no. cool with. You're like that's a real thing that happens sometimes, <laughs> but like the 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 sexy hitchhiker that just has the casual sex. <laughs>
3: Yeah, Yeah. well, I I will say, too, and I apologize. No, please, please continue. I I really love her little conversation with uh, Tom Atkins, Nick Castle in in, uh, that first scene where they're in the car, because they're having this sort of like, well, one, he's drinking a beer. Yes. (laughs) As he's driving, for one. But also, she's like, are you weird? And he just kind of thinks about it for a second. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm weird. And she kind of looks at him, and you're expecting her to like be frightened. She's like, she's so relieved. She's like, oh thank God! The last guy who picked me up was so normal. Like I, I thought that was a really fun way to to do that scene. Like you know, a lesser film would have made it into like. And, and again, I'm not using this as an example of something that I don't like, but like if you've ever seen the film The Hitcher, like a, a, you know, I love that movie. Don't get me wrong, it's a great performance from Ruggiero Howard and C. Thomas Howell in that movie, but like. That's the easy way to go, where it's like, oh, you pick up a hitchhiker; they're they're crazy, or the driver's crazy, or whatever. Here, it's literally like it's it's a break in attention and tells you a lot about who those two characters are. Uh, and I like, I I really like that scene. I think it's a fun little scene uh, at the beginning of the movie to establish those two and admittedly, the next scene that we cut to with them, they're in bed. So <laughs>
0: that's why my notes it was like 30 minutes later, you know, 30 minutes of the film. It's like, <laughs> all right, here we go. But again, that's credit to, I think also with Jamie Lee Curtis, I think she was trying to break type. I mean, she's in another carpenter horror film, right? But she's not Lori. Right. And yeah. she is like hitchhiking. She's doing art. And it's almost like whenever he like later on, he was like, Oh, aren't you heading away? So she's like, I can hang around for a bit. Like they they, they're vibing, right? Like, like, as the kids say today. Right. And so, um, so she's kind of along for the ride and there's the bit, whenever we get the idea too, that he is, he is kind of, I don't know his relationship with the Seagrass other than he knows how boats work. That's a little (laughs) unclear, but whatever (laughs) I'm fine. Like I'm fine with that. Whatever. It it gives you enough information, right? It's fine. Like they're almost like ex filing it. Right. And that's fine. It gives you more information. Um, And that's, that's, that's fine too. Like it all, like, I think, I I think this, this film does work pretty well of giving you as the viewer, all the pieces, you know, need to know to put together, but watching everybody kind of not understand the other part. Like there's the bit too with Stevie and her son, how he like, just one of the things that this film just annoys me, but I'll, I'll let it go is whenever he's walking along the, the rocks, he's like, Oh, it's a gold coin. There's water. Now it's a piece of wood. And then he's like, he's, he's telling everybody like, that's like, that's how science works. I'm like, all right, kid. He was like, yeah, it was a gold thing. And now it's a piece of wood. It's like, that just, and everyone's like, okay, kid, shut up. And it's like, he's showing this <laughs> piece of wood, right? From whatever it was, the the boat, the something, something Dane, the Dane cook, the SS Dane cook or whatever the name of the ship was. But it's like, that was a little weird. But at the same time I get like, it's a film with ghost pirates. So like how, how much reality do I need in here? So I'll let it go. But like how Stevie brought that with her to the lighthouse. um, It's a very effective scene when she's sitting on top of the cart rack, which I have problems with because I'm like, you like seeing all the water that came out of that piece of wood. I'm like, well, you've ruined all your commercials uh, for your radio station. That's how she would do that was they were all eight. They look like eight tracks. That's she would use those to, you know, switch between jazz records. No one's listening to. Um, and it got ruined. Um, I, I have my personal uh, gripes about how that whole thing worked out in terms of the destruction of radio equipment. But the scene where the, the driftwood switches from the name of the boat to the six must die. This film was made in 1980. That feels like a very much like an earlier, late like late 60s or mid 70s type of like, oh, shit, this is weird now. And I was kind of on board with it. I'm not normally like that, though. I, I thought that worked.
3: For me, the thing that that stuck in my head was, is that, uh, you know, when the fog rolls in and things start going south, uh, she decides to stay on the air. And she's like apologizing to her son. But she's calling out to everybody like, please go find him. Stevie needs help. Or not Stevie. She's Stevie. I apologize. Stevie Jr. Whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh, You know, please help him. He needs help. And I'm not there to protect him. You know, I'm like, well, maybe leave the radio station. Like, yeah. you're not reaching anybody. Like, the, the four listeners you have, are, are, you know, have already called into your station. Like, no one else is really. Yeah.
0: The weatherman's dead. And yeah. then you, you don't even know that, uh, you know, um, Atkins and the side piece are running around trying to be good about things. Right. So. Um,
3: I, I will say yeah. there's a funny line, too, uh, where the, the, the guys on the boat are listening to her at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And the one guy's like, oh, boy, I'd like to meet her. And the other guy's like, yeah, I saw her at the market the other day. You would like to meet
0: her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, I heard she had a kid. He's like, oh. It's like, but aren't you married? He's like, well, not happily. Like, whatever it was, it was so, yeah, it was it was funny. But, yeah, I, I also have some uh, some bones to pick about her uh, her radio stuff where it's like, you're breaking in every three to six minutes to talk you don't do that. You play music and that's it. And then later on when she got the, 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 the generator going up and she's like, just shouting to whoever will listen. Like, here's my home address. Save my son from fog. You know, there's people that are just listening. are like, I what, is she? Some of <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, ah, you know, I'm good.
3: I'm going to switch over to the Padres game or whatever was going on, you know? (laughs) Well, there's also only one police officer in the town. Oh, Jesus Christ. He's at the big gala.
0: Yeah, the big gala that's happening at midnight, like, did they also, like, just that was weird. Uh, and also like, I, I will give credit though to Jan Lee's character that she was distressed because she was trying to get everything done. And then when she found out the truth of what was going on with like the town, basically being built on blood money, she was kind of like alarmed by it, but you didn't get the vibe of like, Oh, well they don't need to know. It was more like, let's just get this done and we'll figure it out later, which I think is a little different situation now versus what we're dealing with now where it's like, Oh, this is history. Shh. No one needs to be bothered by that. It's almost she's it's like, "Yeah, that's a problem, but I already have a statue and candles. Can we get this done tonight? I'm tired."
3: Like, <laughs> yeah, there, it, it's sort of like the mayor in in Batman '89, who's just like, "I don't care what it costs. We're gonna." We're going to have this festival. I don't care if some crazy maniac shows up and tries to poison the entire city. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe we should stop this. <laughs> nah, it's fine. I just want to get it over with. But at least she's not like
0: the, the mayor from jaws, right? Where like she knows about like, the, cause she, the whole thing is like, Oh, this town was built on like, you know, like blood money and death. She is not aware of ghost pirates. So it isn't like, ah, you know what? Maybe they won't come in inland, you know, like it isn't <laughs> like you know, we'll have fans out. We'll have big, some big fans. They won't get nearby. <laughs> It'll be fine. Well, have people like, we'll just be like, just waving their arms to keep, <laughs> keep the ghost pirates away, you know, but it's like, so at least they like, so Carpenter was making a statement about like the sins of the father and also like, you know, the corruption, in the church making all the statements. And I think that's valid, but at least they didn't like, they didn't make her unlikable like that, like, cause there's no, there, like in terms of the people involved there's no true villain. We don't have the person selling out somebody else. We don't have, you know what I mean? Like we don't have like, we don't, we don't have the priest like closing the doors on everybody. Like everybody's generally being like, what is going on? Why are there ghost pirates? Can we live? You know, like so because the the ghost pirates are the bad guys, right? Supposedly because they were done wrong. We don't have a true, like we don't have a Burke character here, which is kind of refreshing.
3: Although uh, you know, maybe this movie did need you know Paul Reiser just to show up and he's trying to convince everybody that no, go into the fog; it's good. Come yeah, up. yeah,
0: good. The it's it'll open you your pores in and your throat and your intestines. You know, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, um, Antonio Bay, Botany Bay needs to be open for the the anniversary. Which I mean, if this was like maybe done a couple years later, maybe they would have incorporated that. So that's kind of refreshing that like you you're not like you're you're um, you're like upset that people are making dumb decisions because it is a horror film. Because like, what was it? Um, uh, the 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 um, the babysitter for the son. How she's like, oh, we're on a house that's full of windows. I'm just gonna go outside and see what's going on. Just you're good. Like you, you're worried enough to send the the boy to his bedroom. You're just gonna walk out in the middle of that. All right. Well, good luck. You know, like whatever. <laughs> Like, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Offer him, like, you know, like a tea and a cookie? Like, I just don't think you're gonna do much there, lady, you know. So, um, well, she doesn't, no, she doesn't. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so uh, that all works for me. I think Hal Holbrook's character could have easily turned into a shit heel, but his guilt. Like, you could tell that he honestly cares, right? And he also feels like he's failed. He also kind of feels like he's lost his faith, like, you know, along the way. And then also to find out his faith is built upon what his father and grandfather told him, only to find out that this town was built on death, right, and yeah. betraying. Um, So I thought that was interesting. And then him realizing, like, oh like I'm the sixth conspirator, which that that's all a little fuzzy about like the six people, whatever. I don't like, it's fine. It's not my favorite part of the movie. Cause they don't really draw a clear line with that, but with him trying to sacrifice himself and then him fighting that gold cross, and him carrying it into, you know, into uh the main area there, the sanctuary, whatever you call it. The I, I used to know church terms, I don't care anymore. But him carrying the cross in there into like the, the rectory. Is that I don't know what the, the the church area. Um, you know, the buffet area. I don't know what that means. Um with that like him being burned by carrying that large gold cross, which was was minted or even like smelted out of the gold that was ill begotten. And him trying to offer that up is like, you know, like, here's your gold, Blake. Take me too, like, we're going to see this kind of recurring, like repentant, broken person of faith. I mean, especially like even like um, Prince of Darkness, right? We're going to run into this a lot where we have faith only goes so far and then, you know, shit goes sideways. I think the, I think his character was interesting in this.
3: Yeah, and that's interesting that you bring up. And I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk too much about um, specifically uh, Prince of Darkness because we are going to cover it in an episode. But um, the two of them, the two films do have a very similar creepy feel. Although Prince of Darkness, in my opinion, feels much more. And I, I hate to have, I hate to use this word for a movie that's probably thirty-five years old at this point, but it feels a little bit more modern, at least in terms of its storytelling, than this. Does. I thought you were
0: going to say elevated in this piss-off half. <laughs> <afterwards>.
3: Yes, <laughs> Prince of Darkness is elevated horror. No, um, especially
0: the way Alice Cooper gets impaled by the bike. <laughs> we'll talk
3: about that <laughs> when we get there. I did. I did notice something, and I don't know why. Uh, I think that that Carpenter has a, uh, and I I shouldn't even say it's Carpenter, but there's a weird shot in Prince of Darkness and this that involves worms, where I'm just like, is worms like a, a, a subtext that I I just and I understand they're they're gross and and you know they're usually found on dead things, but like like I feel like there's a, a, a subtext maybe I don't know Um, I'll have to when we revisit Prince of Darkness really examine it and and see like is this something that you know John Carpenter just thinks like worms are gross so he uses them like uh, and that's not me like busting on you know busting I don't even know what that means Uh, (laughs) busting makes me feel good but that's not me attacking you know Carpenter but like I I did happen to notice that you know it, it seems to be a go to for him when he's showing like ooh this is you know scary to King's whatever or it's gross uh do we have any worms on set yeah we, we can go down to the bait shop and get some worms great i again it's not even like it's a quick it's not it's not even like a big shot in this movie it's it's probably a blink and you miss it kind of shot it's just it feels very much like oh for whatever reason worms are the thing that are his go to when it comes to like the old school
0: horror. Well, well, that's fair. But so I, here, let me give you some more, more uh, information here. Let me, um, this will help right a little bit. So, cause you mentioned how this feels like kind of like a throwback in terms of, you know, being more of like maybe an earlier black and white film. He was actually aiming originally for this to be a PG rated film. And so that's why you don't see blood in it. And, but, uh, the ratings board was like, nah, like, the, cause like, you know, like what's going on here with the sound design too. like guy gets his eye stabbed out. There's like swords through things, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty rough stuff. Um, so they actually, after the runtime was short, like was like, you know, 80 minutes, they added the houseman thing. And then, so uh, what had happened was uh carpenter and um, Barbeau went on their Like they went on a honeymoon finally. Right. And so in the meantime, uh, it was um, oh, it was Tommy Lee Wallace and um, oh who was who else was it? Um, somebody else was in the editing bay, and and so Carpenter came back and they're like they were they were frustrated because it's like um, things aren't working. So they realized that the film they had wasn't complete and Carpenter knew it, and so he realized that just playing with the atmosphere uh wasn't going to do it. So he's like it has to be visceral. So he actually offered to um, pay out of his own pocket for reshoots to actually add a little bit more gore and horror to this. And when Avco found out that he was willing to pay out of pocket, they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to give you the money to cover the reshoots. Cause they were like the people in charge at the time. were like, directors don't normally feel this passionate about their project. They normally just drop it off and get paid and leave. So they were surprised. They was like, this film isn't working. They're like, oh here's a little bit more money to do that so I think what you're talking about the worms and the gore you're talking about the sequence on top of the White House whenever yeah. like um Adrian Barbo swings at the guy right so some of the stuff was like kind of punched up because one they were already gonna get an R rating because of some of the violence and two uh runtime and three that needed to have a little bit more bite because Carpenter was shooting for atmosphere but he's like it's it's almost like when he realized that with Halloween, the music would save it with this, it's more like it needs that like extra push to get this over the line. So I don't know if that kind of answers your, you know, not your question, but more like your, uh, quandary about why he would go that direction. I think he was trying to like, all right, well, if we need this, we're going to do this.
3: Yeah. It's funny to me how many, and, I, and it shouldn't because I'm the first person who's like, well, you know, I, I'm more than willing to uh, spend more money to try and reach an audience, uh, you know, with my comic stuff. So it shouldn't surprise me. But, you know, I, that seems to be a common theme with directors, particularly this time period where they're like, you know what, if I have to pay to get this done, I will. Um, you know, I, and I, I don't want to turn this into, again, a Star Wars show. But, you know, George Lucas you know, he to finish Star Wars, he was like, "Here, you guys can have, you know, all this stuff back." You know, all I'm going to ask for is is you know the licensing, the thing that they thought you know wasn't going to pay off. They gave him, and it was the thing that that really like took off when he was like, "I get all the rights to the toys and everything," and then that made him you know crazy crazy money to <laughs> go on and make the sequels. And I I feel like it, it's a common theme I keep hearing with. Uh, And I apologize that I can't think of another uh, source other than um, George Lucas uh, uh, during this conversation. But I feel like I have heard quite a few people, uh, you know, offer up to you know, spend out of pocket to finish shots or, you know, um, finish a project because the people behind it are unwilling to pony up the extra money.
0: Yeah, so in this case, it's actually the small, uh, smaller company that was better than what he had worked with. It was like, oh shit, if you believe in this, then we need to believe in this too. And they said that it only equated to like maybe a ten percent difference in the actual outcome, but it tightened up everything. So, so that was good, right? Um, and so then here's a quote too. I want to throw this out here because just tying back to something we said earlier. Well, one. I'll mention this earlier. Um, like Carpenter went to Barbo and he's like, I I don't know if I should keep making movies. Cause he's like, This was like, I made the movie, we went away, I thought it was complete, like, meaning we shot everything. So this whole thing of like coming back and everybody's like, This isn't right, it really put a lot of doubt in him. And she and she was like, Well, I'll support you either way. And for him to go out of pocket and AFCO being like, We're gonna absorb the cost, reaffirmed his like his faith in the process. Which I'm sure when we get later, that's going to get a little touchy, right? But so, good for this. Here's the quote, though. Um, he's like, I just came to the point on The Fog when I said they're, they, they've they they seen Alien, Halloween, Phantasm, and a lot of other movies. If my film is going to be viable in the marketplace, it's got to uh, compete with those. He's talking about being visceral. He's not wrong, because the game had changed, right? So, I think he was at least smart enough to kind of read the room and be like, well, I got atmosphere, and I need to add a little bit more here to to make it worth people's time because the the horror game has been raised significantly in the last couple of years, by one of his own films too.
3: Yeah, and you know what I find interesting is is that uh, uh, particularly with. Th- and I just lost my thought. I apologize. I was going to I was going to break into your thought with my own thought and then I completely Well no just in terms of being visceral, like going from the late 70s to early
0: 80s, like you know, like we there's definitely a break point. Like I um I've been like after we talked about Alien last week, right? How like there's reverberations from how that film was so straight faced and how it dealt with like horror. Same thing with Halloween. So it's like, ah, you know. So here, I yeah. apologize.
3: I my my brain started working again. So, <laughs> um, welcome back. Continue. Going back to this idea of of you know the gore and I, I don't remember. Is is the f word even used in this? Like, is there anything in here language? Excuse me, because there's no nudity. Is there any language in here that you feel like I don't? I don't remember the f word being said. I don't think so. I don't recall. Okay. So the reason I bring it up is, is that, and this is not a slight against the, flo- the, the flog, the fog, <laughs> the fog is the that, flog. uh, yeah, I'm a couple beers in now, guys. No, after the flog, the, uh, the flog is nah. just is like,
0: it's either the Catholic punishment device or it's just like, uh, it's like, it's fog <laughs> versus like, like, you know, slog. It's the flog, like, uh, like it's
3: here. Yeah, after not having had dinner and um, a few beers in, now I'm getting a little sloppy, but uh, my apologies, guys. A
0: little sloggy. Yeah, continue, please.
3: This is like the 80th time I've apologized this episode. But um, so I remember this is, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. I I had picked up uh, the the original Poltergeist um, on DVD, and I hadn't seen it in a very long time. I started watching it. And there were things in it, and I'm like, how did this get a PG rating? Like, I'm like, I can't believe this movie wasn't R-rated. Like, it starts off with uh, the parents smoking weed in bed, uh, which was something that you didn't really see in movies back mm-hmm. then. There's some really horrific, scary shit throughout that entire movie. Um, and far more adult themes, I guess, is the best way of putting it, than what is happening within the fog. Like if you asked me which movie should be R rated between the fog and, and poltergeist, I'd totally go poltergeist. And I think poltergeist is a year later. So I, it's just, it's interesting to me thinking about that and going, Oh yeah, you know, this film, it had an R rating and yes, there's some gore in it, but you know, the, there are things in The Walking Dead, you know, which is a television show. Uh, I say it like people don't know that it's a television show. <laughs> Wait, but what? I mean, it's you know it's something that's aired on a quote-unquote broadcast network, I guess, even though it's cable, you know, at this point, that people just will watch and accept. And there are things that are just far more grotesque than what's in the fog. And I understand I'm compar- comparing a movie from 40 years ago to a... Um, You know, television series of the last ten years, but still, it's surprising to me that that you know maybe it's not a PG maybe it's not a PG movie and PG thirteen doesn't exist yet, but it's not like The Fog is a hard R movie. Like it feels in going back to that whole thing I was saying about it feeling like a you know it's calling back to a previous age of of film or story. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kind of surprised that, you know, they had to fight to even not fight, but they had to, you know, consider about whether it was going to be an R rated or a PG movie. I don't think this movie today would be an R rated film. I'll put it that way. That's fair.
0: But I think that Carpenter was aiming for PG just because he just wanted the atmosphere. Right. And more the dread, the creeping dread. And then he realized like, well, that's all well and good, but I need to actually like, you know, <laughs> do a little bit more. So I like, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, cause I think this, like I mentioned this before the sound design, there's bits where you hear like the hook, the hooks going into people. And then like, it's just, it's gross that what you hear versus what you see, which to me is way more effective. And also that original attack on the seagrass where they're all getting skewered and turned around is very abrupt um, and it works because it sets the stage for oh, this fog. This fog's going to mess you up. You know, like <laughs> and, um, I, I think it works really well. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I think it would be PG now um, in terms of what we see. Um, Maybe PG 13 is because it's people getting killed and also casual sex because how dare that be shown on a screen. But, um,
3: but there's not even actually, it's implied sex, they're just in bed together. Maybe they were reading comics, yeah. Like it's fun. like,
0: can I show you my artwork? Yeah, I, I feel more comfortable with my shirt off. Yeah, okay, that's cool, whatever, it's fine. I well, mean, that's how Steve and I to. hang out. He's like, let me show you my new page. I'm like, yeah, I gotta take my shirt off. You yeah, know, fine, <laughs> it's how I feel comfortable. No, um, so, um, I do have some other notes about the film. Uh, do you have? Is there any other points that you want to get into? Because I have, I have a couple, I have a couple of contrarian points that are it's just me nitpicking because that's what I do. Like I just want to, I want to mention just like one or two things.
3: No, I mean uh, the last thing that I'll say about the film, I guess, is is that I do love the fact that it ends with like, oh, it's a happy ending, and then. Oh wait, no it's not.
0: <laughs> oh no, that, <laughs> really that, love... that that ending's amazing. It's it's all yeah. it's the same thing. It's not this. it's not exactly the same as Halloween, but it's the whole thing of like uh when Stevie's like, "Oh, this is all past, but it could happen again." And then whenever, you know, we get the the Reverend coming out and being like, "Why wasn't I taken?" And then Blake's all like, "Oh yeah, about that." Like it's it's a good like, you know, <laughs> it's a good not F you ending, but more like Oh, we don't even know if Blake's actually satisfied and is going to come back in like a hundred years or the next day. <laughs> you yeah. know, we don't know that. And I think that's a, I think that's a good for this type of film. It wants to leave you uneven. And I, I think that's a, I think it's a cool ending.
3: Yeah, I agree. I, I think that the ending is one of its strongest points. Yeah.
0: I just, earlier on, whenever all the things were going on in the town, I was like, why couldn't John Carpenter direct maximum overdrive? That'd have been funny. Yeah.
3: <laughs> You know, I didn't have that exact same thought, but I did have a moment where I was like, did this movie just turn into maximum overdrive? (laughs) So there you go. If only there was a truck full of watermelons crashing somewhere, (laughs) that'd have been perfect. (laughs) Um, So
0: I want to mention that. And also I like, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any goddamn sense when Stevie is like watching from her, you know, light, light house, how the fog is like moving across the town because we don't really, her vantage point is the water and like the shore. And then she's like, it's going here and it's turning here. And it's doing this. It's like, I, I, I don't buy that. I do like that. At least the people are reacting that they're like, Oh shit, the fog is bad. Let's hightail it out of here. It made me, you keep mentioning the Simpsons. It made me think of the episode with the flu clouds where they're stopping at the four way stop. Like all the flu clouds are in the town. Like I also it, love
3: that. It's just in a box. <laughs> Yeah. opens a box and the, the flu, flu comes, comes out, out. But but they,
0: there's that there's that gag though of like there's so many flu clouds in springfield that they're pulling up to four-way stoplights and waiting and then like, that's <laughs> like <laughs> that made me think of that the entire time it's like it's taking a left i'm like watch out for the flu you know like um but i did kind of like that weird um notion of like as long as you're not in the fog, you're okay because that's how they operate. I thought that was, I thought that was kind of cool. I like that, but I just, I don't buy for a second that Stevie is able to watch the entire like thing. Right. I just, that was like, that was kind of bullshit, but you know, Adrian, Adrian Barbeau, like she leans in like it's, 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 it's an odd situation to put a character in, but I kind of like it. Like it's very much kind of like a Hitchcock, like rear window thing of like, you're watching things that you can't control. And you believe that something's wrong going on. So I am okay with that. It's just some of the dialogue's a little weird, some of the like it's a little loosey-goosey, whatever. Um, but yeah, I thought that was funny where it's like the flog, the fog, The fog can just like do like do a like a hard, like like uh e-break and just, brrr, and just turn right and just go where it was going. Um yeah, whatever. I thought that was funny, but it was also kind of effective, and it gave a reason for everybody to go to the church, which that's where everything was going anyway. So it all kind of tied up in a nice little bow for that. So I was okay with that.
3: Yeah, I, I, uh, I wasn't bothered by it, but uh, now that you brought up that Simpsons reference, I'm I'm a little disappointed in myself for not getting there first. But uh, <laughs>
0: you brought the uh, Simpsons it's, multiple it's times, apropone. so yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was also thinking of that one House of uh, Terror, which we played the song at the end when we talked about it, where it was like the the fog that would come inside and turn you inside out, <laughs> like, and they do the kick line at the <laughs> yeah. end. You know, I'm like, oh, they're like, oh, that that fog came in that turns us inside out. It's like the weather stripping's all messed up or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, The Simpsons did it later. All right, so, um, so what we have here, I, it's, I have a couple other bits here. I want to like at least bridge the end of the like of the movie in terms of what happened, going into what we're going to get into next. So unless you have something else specifically you want to talk about,
3: no, no, all I'm right.
0: Good. So AFCO Embassy originally had the fog lined up for a release in Christmas of '79 because you know what makes you feel better about the holiday season in the fog. All right. So, but, um, the, the guy who was the company's president, uh, Robert, uh, Remy decided to hold it back until February of 1980. So, which is a weird time to release a film. We find out now that it does better, but then I don't know that's taking a chance, but it came out February 1st to very good business. Uh, but predictably reviews were all over the map. All right. So here's a partial statement from, uh, Roger Ebert, who actually was very favorable about Halloween. Uh, the fog is encouraging all the same, but it contains um, uh, was it another demonstration. Sorry, it, um, it contains another demonstration of Carpenter's considerable directing talents. He picked the wrong story, I think, but he directs it with flourish. This isn't a great movie, but it does show great promise from Carpenter. Um, I, I kind of that's I think that's kind of the how I land on this.
3: Okay. So let me just verify, uh, your response. You feel that, uh, it's the wrong story, but, uh, Carpenter still shines through. Is that correct?
0: Well, I'm saying not necessarily the wrong story. I just think that even his own admission of going back and having to shoot a lot to kind of make it make sense that for whatever reason, this, um, uh, everybody was gung ho, but until you saw what you came out with and realized that there's something kind of lacking, I think, mm. I think that's fair in this. I'm not saying that it's not directed. Well, I'm not saying it's atmospheric as all get out because his, his, him and Deborah Hill's storytelling and their shot selection and everything else. And Dean Cundy's uh, cinematography like shines through. And there's some really, really great things here. Right. Um, But it doesn't feel like it can like not, not complete, but there's something lacking that I think, I think that's fair.
3: Okay. Yeah, I can see that.
0: So, all right, so I'm also additionally here just to kind of to, to wrap this up. Uh, the reviews may not have been all that enthusiastic, but this did nothing to turn audiences away. Uh, the Fog ended up uh, at number 33 for the 1980 box office uh, season. It pulled over $21 million against the um, initial investment of $1 million. Uh, It didn't duplicate the short-term, um, short, sort of long-term business generated by Halloween, but it was more of an overnight uh, success Um, In Hollywood terms, this was essential as it meant that uh, Carpenter was capable of delivering a popular hit. So even though this may not be talked about in the same fashion as like Halloween, it delivered 20 times over its budget. So we should remember that.
3: Yeah, yeah. I I don't think anybody – it's famously known that the thing is sort of a financial uh, dud at the time. Um, and you know, we've all seen that meme of the, the Marty McFly from back to the future talking about the thing where it's like, uh, you know, h- instead of it being rock and roll, it's, you know, um, like you, you won't know, like this, it, but your
0: kids will. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Your kids are going to love this, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and yes, I'll say it. The thing is a much better movie than the fog, but you know, I don't think that I've ever thought of it as being a flop or, or not being, uh, up the snuff um, I do I do think that uh... <sighs> okay so before we w- started talking about this this evening I had mentioned to Paul that I'd never seen the remake and I, it was frightening to me to realize that the remake was 17 years ago now at this point where I'm like god that movie was made 17 years ago I thought it came out like 10 years ago um, it's weird to think that you know something like the fog would even get a remake because it feels very much like it's so much of a carpenter film. And I guess maybe that probably goes for any of them. You could probably say the same thing about Halloween. You could probably say the same thing about, and I know that there hasn't been a remake of uh, escape from New York or big trouble in little China, but there has been talk of both of them being remade. It is one of those things where it's like, ah, I don't know that I, I feel like this could be done without, carpenter's hand and in the things case it, it, technically I, i've never seen the what is it 2011 version of the yeah, thing breakable. i've not yeah, seen that, that. Yeah. um but i've not heard good things and i don't <clears throat> it, feel it, like it benefits yeah. from carpenter's non-involvement we'll put it that way <laughs> it's okay
0: it does nothing it does nothing to change and move the needle you know that's all i'll say about that so um, yeah
3: yeah it's just it's, it's it's an interesting you know that Carpenter has such a big career and such a big filmography that a movie that is as good as this is sort of a side note. We'll put it that way.
0: No, I think that's fair. I think that this could be revisited. Like I feel like, um, with the right, like I, I made the joke about elevated horror to the chagrin of everybody listening, but I could easily see something with this whole like, um, generational guilt and this kind of atmosphere if somebody would take this and kind of straight face it and do like, like, you know, under the A 24 banner, there could be something cool here. I'm not, I'm not saying I need Ari Aster to do the fog, but I'm also saying I wouldn't be upset if he did.
3: Okay. Yeah. I, I I can see that. I mean, I'm thinking more in terms of, uh, probably, you know, who would I want to see to do the fall? I, I always go to Robert Rodriguez. I don't know why, <laughs> I'm like, oh, he does, you know, he, 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 he does so much stuff on his own. He's very much like carpenter. And and so like, he's always my go-to, um, but boy, I do wonder who would I want to see, uh, but do the I, think you, I think you
0: also, I think you mentioned the, 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 the mist. I think that's probably the closest we're going to get to a good version of this. not good, but, and a different updated version of this. Right. I think, um, the mist is amazing. Like that, that film is a sledgehammer and I love it. Um, yeah, that that, I think that's, um, and you, you know, King, King wouldn't have written that without the fog. (laughs) You know that, right? Like you, you know, like you
3: feel like that was like something in the back of his head. Um, yeah. So, Oh, I do think, um, and I, I should mention this as well. Uh, you know, we talked about the fact that, uh, you know, um, both Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, hadn't moved up in the world in the way that they would have wanted to after Halloween, or, you know, maybe not, not enough time had passed. But uh, uh, if you look at the poster for a movie that's an ensemble movie, it is nothing but Jamie Lee Curtis holding a door back as an arm comes through it. It's very much like, did you like Halloween? Here's Jamie Lee Curtis. Here's a John Carpenter movie, and it's called The Fog. Like yeah, it, it, yeah. it feels very much like not. And I'm not saying they're you know switching you know bait and switch kind of thing, but it's very much like oh you know these two aren't good enough to go out and do other things before this, or I should say other things, but like to. It's just funny that like the marketing very much seems like, do you like Jamie Lee Curtis? Do you like Halloween? Here's the fog.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And I also think that, um, uh, like we didn't get into this a whole lot. Of, I don't want to open this uh, can of uh worms or beer or whatever, um, that it is like he did like the small town. Like you, you're not safe there because yeah. there might be somebody out there. It's like, oh yeah, but what if there's a sleepy community and like it's, it's vapor. Like, how do you outrun that? Like, you know, like it's like the, uh, maybe this should have been called The Happening. Maybe that's what the show should have been called. Um, you know, it's it like, it
3: does I, make me want to make a horror movie that's called The Vapors.
0: The vapor, the vaping its just a bunch of dudes walking around a bunch of assholes, right? Like, like, look at this cool trick I can do or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, I, am going to, I'm going to put this in the, the same kind of category. I mean, not this film necessarily, but Carpenter where he is going to get, um, kind of hamstrung as being like genre specific uh, much like how Hitchcock was always like, he's a suspense director, where they're both pushing the the way films can be made and coming like, and both are very much like they they um, find ways to stretch the format, but because like you know other people are like, oh that's just a scary movie that can't be treated as cinema, like I think that something like The Fog where. Um, is it, is it a perfect film? Not at all. Is it a little, a little lacking? Absolutely. But is there a lot here to kind of be like, Oh shit. He had some good ideas and you can see how he built upon what didn't even get into the score, which listening to this, I heard like, I heard, um, like hints or seeds of the Christine score later. Like there is a lot of that in this too. It's like, you know, he's growing as a filmmaker. There's good shit here. Um, and you got to take, um, the growing pains, Right. Um, to get to the plateaus. And he, he didn't realize at the time while making this that Halloween was going to kind of inadvertently be one of the things that kind of defined him. He he In his mind, he was still trying to find that hit. And this was him trying to do something different. And I did like this. Did it hit the same highs for me as some of his other stuff? No. But I'm super glad I watched it. Because, uh, you know, one, I love the director. I love, uh, you know, it's like I need to watch it. And, you know, and two, it's like, I see, I see what would blossom out of this later. And I'm glad that we've done this. I'm glad that, um, that, you know, we, we dug into the fog. Ooh.
3: <laughs> I agree. Even though it's one that I had seen before, I was happy to revisit it. And it gave me a good reason to pick up the, uh, Blu-ray from Screen Factory. Damn.
0: So let me th- just do one more bookend here and then we can get out of here. So let me, cause I want, I want this to dovetail into, uh, cause we, we're not going to cover escape from New York because we've already talked about that. Um, but I want to dovetail. And then when we get to the thing, I will talk about some of the escape from New York stuff. Cause I have this book. I want to at least like kind of still set, you know, I want to keep moving forward. Right. But so after, after this came out, uh, the, the, the fog was a success. Um, Jimmy Carter and, uh, and he requested that to be viewed at the white house. That's a, like, we know Jimmy, he's like the nicest guy in the world. But he's like, I want to watch the fog. I, I respect that. I think I think that's great. Um, and this was the moment whenever um, what was it? Uh, he and Deborah Hill were on tour because of this, and um, they did a profile on him in the New Yorker. And they started to recognize him in the street. He's like, I never expected to be famous. And so, uh, like Halloween was hitting big, and this came out. Like this is when he starts to kind of become part of like the pop culture collective. So I thought that was important to note to note. And then he and uh, Tommy Lee Wallace started working on, um, a, uh, a new script called, um, El Diablo, which is a Western, which we talked about earlier about his love of them. Uh, Avco, uh, embassy. Um, they weren't so inclined to fund that because they were going, he basically, he was like, we're going to write the star Wars of Westerns. They're like, we don't have that kind of money. (laughs) Like, so fair enough. Right. So, um, it eventually ended up being made, um, in 1990 by HBO, but without any, uh, like without any credit to Carpenter or Wallace. So I, I don't know that movie, but I kind of want to chase it down. Uh, and then also he wrote, uh, Carpenter wrote a script called without a trace, um, about, um, it eventually became the Philadelphia experiment. Do you remember that film
3: from the eighties? I, I remember that film, uh, I don't know that I've seen all of it. It's it's I just actually had this discussion. I've talked about this before on the show where I have memories of movies and I'm I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. And then I realize, oh, I haven't seen that. Uh, There was a preview for the new Firestarter, the new version of Firestarter. Then I said to my wife, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I think I've seen Firestarter. (laughs) But there's also a possibility that I caught 15 minutes of it on HBO 40 or 35 years ago. And think that I've seen all of it. So I'm like, the Philadelphia experiment, I have, I feel like I've seen it, but I, I can't say specifically uh, <laughs> that I haven't. So we'll just go with no at this point. I
0: mean, it was dealing with like the whole like, you know, conspiracy theory about how the, the government was working on like cloaking technology for like naval ships and stuff. And so he wrote a script for that. He eventually got like a token, um, executive producer credit, but the film did get made, which kind of is in line with some of the stuff that he's been hired. Like, like, you know, a gun for hire in the meantime, hey, it's money. Right. So I, that's where we're going to leave that until we get into, uh, Escape from New York leading into the thing. Cause I mean, I, I think it's important to at least talk about it when we get there. Um, yeah. Um, I did like the fog. Um, it's not my favorite film of Carpenters um, and you know it's one that I will revisit eventually and I do want to pick up like the blu-ray of it it's just that you know there, there's just something missing and this it, it feels like from everything I read about it and what we talked about that is um, it's kind of it's kind of there but we can't put my finger on what it is other than, oh one other thing I want to mention too uh, Christopher Lee was approached to play the role of the priest he didn't think it was significant enough so he stepped away could you imagine that I think Hal Holbrook did amazing But you mentioned, like, these throwback horror films.
3: Christopher Lee in that role would have just... Oh, my gosh. It's so weird to me because he's uh, he he very famously said that he turned down the role of Loomis in Halloween and he regretted it. I'm surprised that he didn't go for this. And no offense to Christopher Lee, but I think at this point he was doing, like, Disney, you know, Escape from Witch Mountain type movies. Like, I that's baffling to me that he wouldn't want to be a part of this, but how Holbrook did amazing. I'm not trying to. Oh, min- yeah. Yeah. No, yeah he's he's yeah. fantastic in it.
0: Yeah. So there we go. So, um, yeah, I like, uh, the fog. I'm glad we watched it. I'm glad that we're digging into the year carpenter. And, um, this is just another one to cross off the list. Right. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, ghost pirates, moist boys. Um, it was a lot of fun.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would think, uh, uh, if you're uh, somebody who hasn't, visited, if you're a horror fan and haven't seen the Fawn, the, the Fawn, the Fawn. Not. It's about a if deer. It's just, it's. I need a sandwich, people. <laughs> if you see, if you're a horror fan, haven't seen the Fog, um, and you have Shudder. I would also mention that it's available on Shudder right now as well. You can check it out. It's a fun little uh, movie, and uh, I think there are much worse ways that you could spend uh, uh, a, a, an evening watching movies and then checking the fog out. Yeah. So which is such a shitty way to recommend it. Oh, well, no, no, divorce. no. It's just, but yeah. it's,
0: it's just, it's one of those things. It's like, I, 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 um, like we just had, we just talked about Halloween, which is like this film that people hold up in such high regards, rightfully so. Right. But mm. it's like, this, this is worthy of discussion too. And, and I've been guilty of not seeing the full filmography of Carpenter, which we just talked about in Elvis film, which I've not seen, or somebody's watching me, which I've not seen. So I'm still going to have gaps, but the goal here for you and I is to kind of fill in those gaps. And it's like, we can appreciate the highs and I'm not saying this is a low, you know what I mean? But it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's not a misfire, but it, you could tell that it, um, it didn't quite come together the way it was hoped to be. And I think there is value in watching that and appreciating it for what it is. And I think people should also do so. Right. So I think that's why, like when you say there's worst ways to spend 90 minutes, absolutely. You know, but you could do, you could do less wrong than watching the fog.
3: Yeah. And I, I guess, uh, you know, I haven't, there are carpenter films that I haven't watched that are later in his career. Like I haven't seen the ward or even, uh, vampires or ghost of Mars. So, you know, maybe I should hold my own criticism up and not criticism, my own advice up and be like, you know what? Maybe there's worse ways to spend 90 minutes than watching those <laughs> films as well.
0: I mean, you're a big fan of what Halloween, um, was it five? Um, is, <laughs> that, is that your favorite one? <laughs>
3: five is my least favorite of all the films
0: so you're saying there are worse ways to spend 90 minutes there are there, there. Are absolutely <laughs>
3: right. that's not a carpenter film let's just be, let's
0: be uh completely straight about that so yeah that's gonna do it for our discussion about the fog uh that's gonna do it for this portion of the year of carpenter hope you've enjoyed this everybody watch the movie if you've not seen it in a while watch it if you've not seen it at all watch it it, there, there's a lot of value here. Uh, you guys can find us on Facebook and invasion of the podcast. Um, you know, we post things uh, We're we're bad old, old men on social media. Um, but, uh, you can also go, uh, uh email us directly at invadingpodcastgmail.com. Wherever you find your podcast rate and review us, would be greatly appreciated. If you enjoy the conversation and this is the big thing, everybody, uh, you know, this is the Dakota ring, drink your over tea moment. Let other people know, like the, the podcast space is so, overcrowded now like every three seconds somebody else is stepping in if you enjoy this conversation and you know people listen to podcasts and they're like you know what if we need a two to three hour podcast each week of two guys is getting drunk and being idiots do we have the show for you you know hey so, there's
3: worse ways to spend two hours <laughs> or in some cases three <laughs> In some cases three
0: right so um yeah like uh like just let people know the more
3: the merrier It'd be great and steve how can people find you you guys can find me. Well, let's 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 start off big here. Well, uh, this weekend, actually, less than by the day that this is released, I will be at Fan Expo Cleveland. You can find me at the Huntington Convention Center, downtown Cleveland, all weekend long at Fan Expo Cleveland. Myself, uh, Kevin Smith, uh, Jason Muse, Brian O'Halloran, Jeff Anderson, Ron Perlman, Katie Sackoff, uh, Billy West. All those fine folks are going to be there as well. Um, I'm building myself on top, of course. Uh, but you guys can come out and see me there. Um, and if you're there on a Sunday, you could also meet Mr. Paul Stedman. We could do the show live for you. We'll be sober, we think. Really? Um, maybe. Um, but come on out and see us. Uh, we'll be there. Uh, and if you come out on Saturday, Ryan Cassandy will be there. My partner on the Slasher will have a table. You can buy a comic. You can buy some art. Uh, you can come by and just tell me why you think the fog is... Uh, an unspoken gem of Carpenter's filmography, and we can have a conversation. We'll be happy to. Um, or you can just come by and say hello. Uh, and but, buy uh, a comic. And support and the... Comic. S- yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, I, but, I, I, I always like, I'm doing this thing. I mean, it'd be cool if you buy the thing.
3: No, buy the thing. Buy the thing. Buy, buy the thing. Uh, but I'll be there all three days this weekend uh, at uh, Fan Expo Cleveland, uh, but if you want to find out more about that show, you can go to fan expo, Uh, and you can find out more about the Saturday slasher by visiting Saturday slasher.com.
0: There we go. So that's going to do it for us this week. Oh, by the way, oh, oh here, wait, one second. I gotta, I gotta interrupt. Um, there's some important things I need to mention here, Steve. I, was, I mentioned this before start recording. Um, what we're got to do here. What, what button I'm going to press it is, is this one.
2: It wasn't especially large. But it felt hard, Uh-oh. extremely hard.
0: So, um, today as of this recording, it is the seventh anniversary of the show. So there we go. Uh, seven years, seven listeners. Thanks everybody for listening. <laughs> we appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a long journey to get to seven, but we appreciate every one of you. And also Steve, it is the fifth anniversary of the first time you came on the show solo. We talked about, uh, Prometheus.
3: Oh, hey, Where is that episode
0: one o one. Look at that. Look at that. It's been a while. Wow. It's been a little bit of a while. Yeah. There we go. Yeah.
3: I You know, if I remember correctly, I spent most of that episode talking about the fact that I don't need a YouTube video to tell me that I don't understand Prometheus. Uh, <laughs> it's just, in fact, not a very good movie. Fair so, enough. I uh, agree with that. go back yeah. and revisit that episode. I'm, I'm sure I have plenty of insightful things to offer about Prometheus. So go back and listen to that episode, guys. Yeah.
0: So there we go. Happy uh, seven-year anniversary for the show. Happy five-year steve anniversary. So... There Woo! we go.
3: Steve anniversary. Anniversary.
0: I um I owe you um some type of Kmart sandwich. I owe you something. <laughs> I don't know where it's at.
1: Um,
0: I think it's funny that uh, you and I have hit our five year anniversary, and then. I just had my wife for the first time on the other podcast. I do. And we've been married five years. So I don't know. It's like, I don't know. I don't know what that says about me anyway. So I always joke about my podcast husbands. So there we go. So uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week after Steve and I uh, go to the fan expo, there is a documentary. Steve has mentioned to me called Supercon. It is available in Tubi. So it is a, uh, it's a documentary about conventions. There will be ads, but I've not seen this. But, but Steve makes a good point about like, he's about to do a convention. I'm about to help him. Why not kind of dig into the whole like thing about it? I think that will be a fun uh, documentary and some um, interesting reactions to the weekend that majority he'll have. And then I will partially have
3: yeah yeah i i think it'll be interesting because I, I that documentary looks at it from the the position of the people who are actually throwing the convention which you know you guys can hear me talk about you know my experiences as somebody who's tabling at a show but we never really hear from the people who are actually throwing the show and uh i think it's a fascinating little documentary um and we'll talk about that next week uh it's interesting to see the other side of, of the document of the documentary, the interesting mm-hmm. side of the convention scene. We'll put it that way.
0: All right. So there we go. So that that's going to do it for us this week. Everybody come out the fan expo. If you're available, uh, come meet Steve, uh, pay money for him. And then I don't know, maybe meet Michael Rooker or, you know, um, Ron Perlman. If you have the extra money after you support Steve, we won't blame you for that, but you have to spend money at Steve's table first. So come out to do that. Support him and Ryan, Ryan, Ryan brings the, you know, he brings the sexiness. Steve brings the brains. I don't, that's, I'm sure you guys will debate that. Like, and I, and I bring space filling. That's what I bring there. You've brought
3: candy in the past. I have brought candy
0: that didn't do jack shit. Right. Whatever
3: we were doing, like I have, I have like
0: I have like a pound of fun dip left over from a party. So maybe I'll bring that to bribe people. I don't know. We'll bump we'll tell rails. It's cocaine. Yeah, we'll bump fine. rails of fun dip
3: for at the expo.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, any time, come come visit Steve. And in the meantime, have a good week. Have a safe week. And um, I don't, I don't know. Um, uh, was it what was it don't have a gut buster is that what it was called um stomach buster d- yeah don't have a stomach buster and a coke because it's much like um uh
3: pop rocks it will kill you <laughs> yeah and uh if you're gonna give a sword back to a zombie maybe just use it to kill the zombie